doesn't Hello like everyone. Oh, you fucking asshole. <laughs> <laughs> That's staying in. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the Pioneer Perspective. As always, my name is Brad, otherwise known as Brad Sever, and I'm joined by Alex Lockswain. Try to pronounce his actual last name. I bet you can't. Hello. Hello. I'm not going to say your actual last name on on cast because I don't know how private you are about that. How uh, what is how common is your last name over there? Are you going to get DDoS? Like how how many Alex Lockwains oh, are if, there? If, if you, I th- I think it's um, probably not too hard to figure out my last name, but um, there's not a lot, especially the specific spelling. So yeah, if you really well, want to try, you'll be able to find me, I guess. Did you see Aiden Ross got swatted yesterday? No. He's he's one of the streamers. Like he always has like Is he the one who has Andrew Tate on all the time? He he does. And like he's a little bit of a dumbass himself. That's like like uh he's just one of those kind of streamers, but he got swatted yesterday. Jesus. On stream. Yeah, and he was like he heard them outside and, and there's a helicopter outside and he's like and he was basically cussing out the the uh the chat the entire time be like whoever did this fuck you like why why you like this and he's literally on his knees waiting for him to come in just like this with his hands on his head he's like i have to, now i have to fucking sit like this because now i don't want to get fucking shot and my friends want to get shot so i have to fucking sit here and chill so why the fuck would you do this and then people were like in the comments being like why did he keep like the stream on it's like if he gets shot that's why yeah hello you idiot <laughs> Whether or not no, you like, like him in, or not, swatting is the stupidest fucking thing to ever come out of the internet. Yeah, like in besides magic, all the other things. It's like <laughs> I feel like in magic, there's like a lot of like basically everyone just uses their first and last name. Yeah, but like yeah. I think if you really want to find it, I've posted like deck lists before with like screenshots from Goldfish, and I know it's like oh shit, that's my full name, but like whatever, right? I mean, no one's gonna DDoS a Dutch guy. Yeah, just like, there's oh no, my... There's no reason. Yeah. Like... Oh no. What happened to your bike, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> they stole your bike. It's a good thing you have six others in your garage. <laughs> I always love that statistic about our country that we have more bikes than people. So many fucking bikes. <laughs> I was uh, the new COD uh, in the campaign. There's a mission where you are in Amsterdam and there are bikes all over the street. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, we're in the Netherlands. <laughs> yeah, that's where we are, buddy. <laughs> but then the multiplayer map has very few bikes. And I was like, thanks for breaking my immersion. Yeah, now my immersion oh, is gone. Yeah. I really hope it's in Amsterdam. There's like this one corner in Amsterdam. I, I don't know exactly where it is anymore, but like I, I remember being there. And I had a tour. And it's like, if your bike ever gets stolen in Amsterdam, come here at night, you'll probably be able to buy it off someone. So, like, I really hope if that bit is in the Call of Duty map that there's just literally, like, a hundred bikes on one street corner. <laughs> like, they take all the bikes from the work. mission and they've shoved it all in that one corner. It's like, they've all been stolen. They're there now. <laughs> yeah, that's why you're actually in the uh, the country. You're, you're there to actually catch a bike thief. <laughs> they sent the American army the for a bike thief. It's it's cool. You're it's like you're you're the it it does a Call of Duty thing of fl- like switching around for perspectives and countries and like different people you play as, uh, but it's all connected. Um, it it was kind of cool. The cartel was there. 
which is interesting. Like the Mexican cartel was in Ooh. Amsterdam. Spicy. Yeah. Is that because they're Mexican, Alex? Are you referring to their their types of foods? I know all food that's not Dutch is spicy to Dutch people. Oh, except yeah, you for actually, except, except for like British food. <laughs> Dude, anytime I see like a, like an online argument about food and like some British person says something and and instantly on Twitter they get ratioed, being like, "You like this kind of food," and they just they just put a picture of any any random English but, dish, and everyone's okay, like, "Get fucked, I'll, whatever." Get fucked. All right, ratio me if you want. I kind of like British food. I understand. That it's like simple, but that doesn't mean that it can't taste well, right? It doesn't can't have a good taste. Like you the can just have a fucking cheese sandwich and be like, is... "Hey, that's a good sandwich," right? And it's not like, yeah, but you know. And then you go to like other cuisines, like yeah, but we add fifteen different spices to it, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> does it actually make it taste better, or are you just adding shit because it sounds cool? You need to have proper southern food. Alex, you need a proper, like, there's so many different ways you can go about it. You can go, like, Cajun. You can go, like, like any kind of, like, barbecue place. If you go, if you come to the States, for the love of God, don't go to a barbecue place in the North. Just don't. It's wrong. It's bad. <laughs> or in California, for that matter. I'm sorry if I'm offending people from California or the North that loves their local barbecue place. Come to anywhere in the Bible Belt. And have barbecue there, and you'll you'll love it. You won't love being in the Bible Belt otherwise. No, but you'll but love the barbecue. Good barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> really, like I I love I That's love at least the an upgrade to thing. our Bible Belt. Our Bible Belt has nothing except for being the Bible Belt. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know like, them being it's... good for anything. Like I don't know. Like, oh, but you have to go there for like. That's yeah, at, at least, least like kind of fake... cool. If you're like come to the Bible yeah. Belt, even if you're not religious, at least we've got barbecue. And it's like, hey, you know that. I can make yeah, we they have racism and barbecue. That's literally what <laughs> they got. However, the the Bible Belt also has that really fake. I, I don't call it fake, but like it, maybe that's not the right word for it. But that really like that southern charm of like respectfulness and like sweetness of just like they they seem really nice to you. Like that, surface that, level. That's always <laughs> yeah. That's really nice and it's really enjoyable. And like if you if you get called sugar. By the by, the lady giving you your food, you're just like, oh, yeah, I'm gonna have this. This meal's gonna be bomb as fuck. It's gonna be great. <laughs> That's what you need. It's like it's like when you go to like I don't know if you have that. Every I think every person in the states can relate to being in middle school or high school, and the lunch lady calls you like sugar or something like that when they give you your food, and you're just like, yeah, thank you, thank you for that. Little tiny moments. All right, but we're going to, I guess, we didn't talk have about... lunch ladies at school. We had to take our own lunch. Oh. That's because you don't have a way to profit off of children. <laughs> <laughs> the states have that figured out. Yeah. <laughs> we had to pay for our lunch. We had to, we had to, we had to, we had to have lunch money. That's why there's the cliche of, like, bullies stealing lunch money from kids. Or what I would do is I would just simply have my lunch money for the week, which was, like, 20 bucks, like, you know, four bucks a day and the first day i would just buy i would go to the special line that was the a la carte line which had like this this single like personal pan pizza like a red baron oven pizza thing that was really good at least for you know school lunch standards 
because it was better than the regular like frozen bullshit. I mean, this was also a frozen bullshit thing, but <laughs> better than the other frozen things. It was higher and, quality before they froze it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I would just basically blow all my money in the first two days, and I wouldn't eat Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. <laughs> Because I'd, I'd get like three lunches in two days. <clears throat> that was my high school career. <laughs> hungry on <laughs> hungry sixty plus percent of the week. Brilliant. <clears throat> <clears throat> Alright. We're here to talk. Brothers War Top Ten for Pioneer. Uh I don't really have anything else to add. This is what it is. Well, well I, mean, I, th- I think like an overall, you know, let's start on a note. Like, what do you make of the set? Like, in general, are you excited or you know, are you excited for the release? Or like, are you going to do a pre-release? Like, what about it? Um, I'm probably going to go to pre-release tomorrow if I have time. I should be able to. I should be able to get out of work in time. Um, and I mean, the set looks really cool. <clears throat> it started off... That middle section, right? That middle section of previews, we were kind of going like, holy shit, this, this set's fucking busted. Um, and then as more and more came out, I feel like that kind of that, that idea died down a little. And it seemed like yeah. the power kind of evened out a bit. Um, I don't know what to make of this set. I think I've had this problem with every single set where it has this rinse and repeat thing of like either off rip, the set looks really overpowered or really shit. And then you get a few more nuggets that come in that kind of even out whatever that consensus was for either going up in a level or down a level. And then I always feel the same way after every set. I'm just kind of like, there are some cards in here that seem really powerful, but the overall, I don't like, I, I don't think we're, I'm, I'm never going to have that Eldraine feeling again after a set. I don't think it's ever going to be achieved of like, holy shit. Hopefully this not. This set Fucking is insane. <clears throat> So that's kind of like my thing. It's like it's it's hard to have a, an accurate depiction of a set anymore because the idea of what overpowered is to me is like Eldraine. I, I don't see us getting to that point again. Yeah, that's fair. What do you think? I don't know. I'm. I agree with you that um, about halfway through the set, I was like, "Oh my god, this set looks fucking cracked!" Right, and then we got to the end of the set. And mm. now, overall, I'm not that high on the set, like, in terms of its power level. I mean, we'll talk about it other than Karn, right? Like, yeah. if we assume Karn will get banned, which I would be shocked if he doesn't at this point, then the set didn't add, like, that much. Like, there's some cool cards and there's some powerful cards. Yeah. Like, if I when I tried to make the top ten, I feel like this set is just, like, full of sevens. Like there's a whole bunch of cards that are just like, yeah, it's pretty good. I can see a deck where it's good. I can see a situation where it's good. But I can also see how that situation can like quickly change and then the card's bad. Yeah. Like, oh, maybe uh, like this card's really good against this deck. But, you know, then I realize, oh, like, I don't know, that's a white deck. And it could very easily like have this card in the sideboard and it's suddenly not a good card anymore. Right. And there's a lot of cards like that in this set. Yeah, the set seems to be like it's make or break Karn. Is the kind of the consensus of this set. Yeah, I think if and... Karn somehow doesn't get banned and Mono Green <clears throat> is just cracked but not cracked enough to get something banned somehow, then this set mm-hmm. is very powerful. And if Karn goes, half these artifacts stop being relevant and then I'm like, I don't know if it's still going to be a good set then. 
Yeah, like you have a decent amount of artifacts that are only being talked about and even, frankly, only being on our list because of Karn. Or at least mostly because of Karn. Yeah. Like, we'll talk about them when we get to it, and I'm sure a lot of people can already guess a couple of the cards, where it's really like, they're amazing with Karn, and if we don't get Karn, they'll be fringe. Yeah. So, let's get into it. I suppose we'll uh, start off with you. What's your number 10, Brad? My number 10 is Dreams of Steel and Oil. Uh, Dreams of Steel of Oil is a one-mana sorcery that says target opponent reveals their hand. You choose an artifact or creature from it, then choose an artifact or creature from their graveyard, and then you exile both. This purely exists in my top 10 as being like, wow, do you hate Grease Fang? Fuck them. <laughs> yeah, like, it's that Tron meme. Wow, fuck Grease Fang. <laughs> That's yeah, his whole like, card. This is insane against Grease Fang, because like, even if you're even on the play, I'm sorry, not the play. If, like, if they're on the play and you're on the draw, and they go Stitcher Supplier and they hit any of their vehicles off that first thing, and they have Grease Fang in hand, you're like, cool. Parhelion goes by, your Grease Fang goes by. Like this yeah, and, is just really, exiled, really good. Which is exactly like, even the card in hand gets exiled, and that's super relevant for. I think it was. What was the card from Theros that was one of the black? And I think that was like a discard a card from no hand, exile a card from yard or something. It was exile that, both. It was, no, that was two also mana, exile both. Exile yeah, a card from their, their hand or one from their graveyard. Oh, yeah. This or. was both. Um, so an exile just stops the can't stay away nonsense, which is very annoying out of Grease Fangs. So yeah, I can see this card being super good versus Grease Fang in a meta. Now, I think you might still want to be on cards like Leyland of the Void just because they also hate on Phoenix and this just hates mm. on Grease Fang. But like, yeah. I do agree, this card fucking wrecks Grease Fang. Like, if you have a really bad Grease Fang matchup and, like, for your deck, this is just an easy, like, you know, like, instead of doing one or two duresses or whatever, if you're already playing Thoughtseize main, then you just go one or two of these in your sideboard and just bring that in addition to your other graveyard hate. I will say, it is a sorcery, and plenty of times versus Grease Fang, they will just go, like, end step, Grizzly Salvage, put a vehicle in the yard, play Grease Fang win. And, like, Mm -hmm. it still doesn't stop that. So it's good versus yeah. Grease Fang, but you know it's not like you throw four in your sideboard and you're like, I have a good Grease Fang matchup now. No, you have to really take advantage of like the hands that they have and like. I mean, yeah. but but that's the thing though. Like Grease Fang is like one of those decks where like, even with most hate that you have, even though they're at the mercy at the top of their deck, or in some cases the top five cards of their deck, um, they can still find ways to get out of it. You know, yeah. and like. That's just how it works. But this is still an absolute, you know, welcome addition to further the uh, the ways to combat it and hopefully shut up people that think Grease Fang is too good for Pioneer. <laughs> All right. What's your number 10, Alex? My number 10 is the Mightstone and Weakstone. And no, I'm not going to talk about Urza. Um, the Mightstone and Weakstone, five mana artifact, legendary. It is a power stone. When it enters the battlefield, choose one. Draw two cards, target creature gets or target creature gets minus five, minus five until end of turn. Then it can also tap for two colorless, but this mana cannot be spent on non-artifact spells. I just think this card is, like, pretty solid by itself. Like, we've had some decks that care about CMC for artifact. We had, like, the... Um, 
what is it? The Metalwork Colossus deck. Mm. Um, I'm trying a thing or two with Power Stones where this card looks very good. Just a colorless removal spell when, like, you know... I mean, the, the Power Stones aren't, like, super powerful, so it's not like generating a million colorless mana is easy. But I think yeah. just the fact that this can go into many, like, slow decks and can balance between being a removal spell or a card draw spell. And especially just that fact that it can be removal or card draw means it just, like, works in a lot of situations. And the colorlessness just makes it, like, a pretty good card to me. It's, like, number 10 because I think it's fine. Yeah. And, I mean, of course, it also uh, can get grabbed by Karn. You can I think Karn this for actually it. could be I, a pretty decent Karn target. I would be surprised if this is a Karn target, especially like another card we'll see uh, later, which I think will be like yeah. your premier grab if you want to fuck with something. Um, but I could see it. I could go. See, I can also see this in a lazy Karn sideboard. Like I feel like a lot of people have like a fifteen card Karn board when they only need like twelve cards, but they just mm. don't want to think. They're like, why would I ever sideboard if I could just have a fifteen card Karn board? And mm. then you might put this card in as, like, your 15th card, even though it probably should just be, like, I don't know, like, Voracious Hydra for the Mirror or something. Yeah. it's That's the tough thing about a, a wish board is, like, you want a lot of nice targets to grab for different matchups, but you don't want to overcommit to it. And then your your list is really tight, and there's a we've seen a, a nice amount of cards in this set alone that are... Feel like shoe wins to uh, to make that uh, that cut, and it, it's I will agree it is hard to see where you can find room for this card because like I like like for example like I really thought that a card that be played in the card board was the one from uh, New Capenna, that art of the uh, the uh, equipment, the one that, like uh, for counts the counters on a planeswalker you can oh yeah, yeah yeah the um, I know which one you mean the sword yeah. And that just Luxior. doesn't see play in the card boards at all. Like, it's in mine because I think it's fun. Put on a Kiora. It's Can hilarious. So, but I mean, yeah, it's it's hard to find room. But the, in general, this card is really cool, and I could see it being in some artifact centric uh, value rampish type of thing. Yeah. Also, in you the um, <clears throat> the fact that it can get two mana even though it's restricted, means that if you can utilize this well, in a way, this card... Like, there are situations where this card is 3 mana, and 3 mana for a colorless murder or a colorless divination is kind of nuts. Mm-hmm. So, like, there are situations in which this card is fine, and there's actually situations in which this card is really good. Uh, I'll talk a bit later with, like, my honorable mention about a deck where um, I tried to goldfish it, and I was basically just picking this card up and playing it over and over... And I thought, like, if my opponent is playing a creature deck, like, my goldfish was playing a creature deck, this must have been miserable for them. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if, um... I don't know how to feel. I, I've been wondering if the Power Stone type of synergies and stuff like that, or even just this card, can make it in a list like, uh... the Herald of Anguish kind of game plan, where you play a bunch of artifacts and just try to, like, value out that in late game. Though I, I'm looking for literally any fucking excuse to buy a playset of the new Commander version of Herald of Anguish. Have you seen Oh, that? yeah, the the old bordered one. It is Bro, quite so possibly cool. the best demon-related art I've ever seen on a Magic card. Yeah, it's so good. 
and it's it might it's probably just top 10 art for me in magic in general it's phenomenal and in the old border too god didn't give me strong artifact vibes though i don't give a fuck it's a big old demon give it to me i am a slut for those (laughs) i will do anything for good demons in pioneer but we'll never get them. But what right, is your number, number nine? One? No, no, nine. One. Go yeah, all we're over the list. to one. Yeah, from yeah, ten to one, that. and we just skip the rest. Um, you don't need to know about nine through two. We didn't yeah, write any of them in. We'll put them in a show notes. The best. <laughs> yeah. Number nine is Phyrexian Flesh Gorger. It is a seven mana artifact uh, for a seven five with Menace, Lifelink, and Ward of Pay Life equal to Phyrexian Flesh Gorger's power. But it is also one of the prototype cards for a prototype cost of one black black, where you get a 3-3 three, three instead. And I really like this card. I think it's awesome. Um, I think it's my favorite card to have in the mirror against Rakdos, if, like, as a Rakdos player. Um, it just seems really nice. Getting it down early is another 3-drop for them to kind of deal with. And, you know, as you know with these Rakdos matchups... A lot can happen in the sense of you do nothing for a, for a few turns. Where like you're both hell bent, you're both just at the mercy of the top of your deck. The three life early from this, either you know getting in some damage or you know getting in uh, getting removed. Um, if this lives for a couple of turns, you're probably getting in a few beats, gaining some life. They remove it, they lose three life. If you top deck this later in the match, and they have to deal with a seven five, and they can't really remove it they're forced to do something where they have to put bodies in front of it um and try to protect themselves that way you still gain seven life in that case or they just flat out die to it i really like this card this isn't just a rakdos thing this can probably have something in other you know decks as well um maybe something with like a mono black type of thing uh where getting to seven mana thanks to nykthos as a one or two of in your list isn't that unheard of. And again, this is one of those cards that's not going to be a four of in for your devotion, list, I would imagine. Right? Yeah, like If exactly. you played as a mono-black so, devotion and you played for three, it does give two devotion to black. Because in case people don't know, because the prototype mechanic is a little bit weird, um, when an, if you cast it for its prototype, uh, on the stack already, it becomes the color and mana cost of the thing you're casting. So like, you can't disdainful stroke this if it gets prototyped, because it counts as a three-mana card. And it counts as a black card. Uh, so, like, you couldn't um, ceremonious Is it Ceremonious Rejection? The one blue counter-target colorless spell. Uh, so that wouldn't work because it's black. And also on the battlefield, it stays black and a 3 CMC. And even if you would create a copy of it, that would still be a 3-3. I think the only exception is if you blink it. If you blink it, it does come back, like, non-prototyped. Yeah, which is awesome. So... There's play around this card. It's a really powerful card. And, uh, I mean, especially considering that we're seeing Liliana, which is weird to say, on the downtrend of less and less copies being played in the deck she's running. Like, Rakdos, for example, only runs one or two copies of her now. Some lists don't run her at all in the main. Because Liliana does kind of clap this card in a mirror, which I'd be somewhat worried about. Same for, like, Invoke Despair. Can really mess this card up. And that would worry me a little bit. True, but if you're at the point of where you're in the kind of top deck war towards the end of the game, like I'm imagining, you're hoping of them top decking literally anything other than 
potentially two cards in the mirror, I, I feel, I'd still feel pretty decent about my chances. All right, Alex, your number nine. Yes, my number nine, another card to, to mess with. Another card that makes uh, Liliana cry. It is Obstinate Bailoth. Uh, two green green for a 4-4 four, four beast. When it enters the battlefield, you gain four life. And if a spell or ability an opponent controls causes you to discard Obstinate Bailoth, put it onto the battlefield instead of putting it into your graveyard. Um, this card is obviously good against Rakdos, at least decent against Rakdos. It can give you a lot of tempo, your opponent pluses their Liliana, like you just get to play this for free, and it's a four-power creature, so it immediately kills the Liliana. Um, when you're up against a graveyard trespasser and you have to cast a removal spell on it, you have to pay the ward cost. You can discard this, um, which at least which means you don't actually lose the card; you discard it, and it's great tempo. And then, if you're not playing it against Ragdolls, it's just decent against aggro, right? It's pretty beefy body. It can block. It gains you some life. And I always like sideboard cards that do double duty like that. Yeah, I, I agree. It's like um, when it's... control and spirits are popular and mystical dispute is like does this like double duty thing in your sideboard, and it just feels like a really good use of a sideboard slot. Yeah, and it, I mean even without getting the discard effect, it does pass the eye test of being on rate four four for four and then gains you four life. So that's. That's already decent enough, right? Yeah, and against aggressive decks, this that's just like the kind of card that can totally flip a game on its head. Like, you play against a Tarka Red, you play a 4-4, four, four, and they're just like, well, fuck. <laughs> Can't do anything about this card. Yeah, now they need to hit their, uh, what's it called? Their um, Embergleaf and stuff. So They can double Bone Crusher it, though. Yeah, true. I mean, there's Look always out. ways out, right? It's not like like incredible because i do feel like you have better cards against rectals and you have better cards against aggro but if your meta is pretty wide i like that this can kind of cover both matchups and then you can spend like more slots fighting mono green or something yeah i agree i like this card a lot great reprint glad to see it downshifted to uncommon so and you're number eight brad my number eight is Oh, you know what's funny, Alex? Mm -hmm. We were talking about this, and for some reason, it didn't add to the deck thing properly. We were joking prior to the cast that we didn't have a single. Oh, yeah, blue we didn't card. have a blue card, but we do. <laughs> we do. Spoiler, blue card. I guess. It's this one. It's. Uh, you, oh, you misspelled up? it. That's why it doesn't show up, Brad. It's not Ironclass. It's Third Path Iconoclast. Oh, what the fuck? Iconoclast? Like, ICN. Yes. That is the stupidest name. I hate it. All right. Third Path Iconoclast. It is pretty much just Young Pyromancer. But it is it. Blue and a red for a 2-1 human monk. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, create a 1-1 one, one colorless creature's artifact token. Uh, it's soldier as well, if you care about that. Um, interesting note, uh, Young PZ says instant or sorcery is correct. This yes. is just any non-creature. Um, so that means if you want to have this in some type of artifact synergy-based deck as well, you can trigger it off of that 
two. Um, I don't think that's necessarily where this probably will find a home. Though it is worth noting that it does make 1-1 one, one artifact creatures. So if you have artifact synergies and also ways to pump up artifact creatures in your list, maybe that's a way you can go. But really, this is a card that's looking to basically be copies 5 through 8 of Young Pyromancer in those type of of one mind, uh, is it prowessy type of decks to really like, you know, overpower your opponent. And it's just solid. I, I think it's just fine. It's nothing absolutely insane. Young Pyromancer is an older card. So the power level of that design isn't something that we're like blown away by anymore. Um, but it's an upgraded version of it. And it's a deck that has popped up time and time again in, uh, in Pioneer in general. And this is just a card that continuously adds to it. So I, I don't see how it's a bad thing. And it'll it'll pop up. It'll be a, it, the deck will pop up. It'll play this card. And that's why it's on the list. Yeah, I think this um I don't know, I'm not too high on this, mainly because that like non-creature versus instant or sorcery clause basically doesn't matter in Pioneer. Like, people have seen it in, like, Modern, because you can do it with, like, Mistress Bobble, or maybe in Legacy, you could do stuff with, like, Lotus Petal or something. But if you cast Jaya, you get another 1-1, one, one, which Jaya cares about. I mean, I guess, right? So... that I think that little tiny, like, it's easy to overlook that flexibility of the difference in casting enchantments, especially, like, okay, the Saga, great example. The one from uh, last set, the founding of the third path or whatever. That your is a card already that is worse actually... if you put that card in. So, okay, well, your hate for that card aside, <laughs> that is a card that has seen play in some pioneer decks as of late, and has been shown to have some moderate success in those kind of decks and those kind of shells, including this one potentially. And if you build it the right way, yeah, like. It's Third another card that can trigger it. In like like a sort of eight eight PZ kind of thing. I I can see that being pretty decent. And then also that like founding the third path, because you know, the idea that I spend two mana, but then I get to cast a two mana card for free is actually relevant if it's triggering something like this. Yeah. I just feel like that deck is just like worse than Phoenix. But I can see a world where, like, I mean, especially in the future, if, like, Cruise gets banned or something and, like, Off One Mind becomes, like, a more powerful thing to be doing, I could see this card being, like, decent. And yeah. it is relevant for Off One Mind that the monks it creates, the soldiers it creates aren't um, humans. So just like Young Pyromancer, it immediately meets that human plus non-human clause, which is very powerful for Off One Mind. Yep. And if you follow uh, Ricky from Crew 3, you might have noticed that he tweeted earlier today that Big Rakdos doesn't want you to know that for $2, you can dominate them in their matchups out of the cyborg card. And he just put a screenshot of Jaya from TCG Player. And the, she's only 2 bucks right now. Um, Is that a, you mean 4-drop Jaya from last set? Yeah. He has been really high on that card for against Rakdos, and it's been really good against them. Oh. I guess outvaluing them. And creating tempo swings, <laughs> which I can see. That's doesn't want you to know this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this is a 
that's a card that I think works nicely with third path. Um, it creates more bodies, goes even wider. Again, it triggers this in addition. So like, I, I actually could even see a world where if you don't want to go the full eight copies of uh, both Young Peasy and this, Young Peasy is the one that goes down to two copies. I mean, yeah, just most because this one has the upside, it's just strictly better. I mean, it's hard to cast. Yeah, but you're in a you're in an Izzet deck. I would hope. Right? Yeah, but like you've who's had, playing mono you've red young Izzet decks with like two Den of Buck Bears in your opening hand, right? Okay, well, and then you're kind of sad that this card's blue, blue, uh, blue, red. Stop playing so many manlands. Like I know manlands are great. Yeah, they're great. But okay, when we get this is what's gonna happen. When we get our fast lands in the ideally the next set, because the next set is Phyrexians all always one, right? Yes. In like February or something. So that should be where we get the the, the rest of the allied colored fast lands or whatever. Now you have a reason to cut down like one den. Like I think Yes, please play fewer man lands. They fucking wreck me. <laughs> so Cedric I run out of removal. <laughs> Cedric made a post about a month ago and he got some flack for it saying like basically calling out pioneer players being like, this is why you basically lose all your games. You need to stop fucking with your mana bases and making them bad. It's like, why are you running four fucking down of the bugbears in your two color deck or whatever? And he did get some flack for it because, you know, people are saying he just doesn't know the format, yada, yada, yada. I do agree to an extent that you don't need to play that many copies of like, or also even he was also saying just like four den in like a mono red deck. He's like, it just, he says it fucks up your curve too much. And I can kind of understand it. I could see just doing three or two. Den is a supremely, all that entire cycle of manlands are supremely powerful cards. Yeah, but den is insane. Like through my playing with it too and playing against it, den is by far the best one. Like I don't think it's very close. I agree. Um, but there is sometimes that idea of where do you make the slight changes to increase your mathematical, you know, probability of being able to play your cards. Um, it's kind of like the idea of like Luris being banned, where we, um, I would say, correctly called that we're going to see a lot of decks that were primarily Luris focused decks. Thanks to being freed from the shackles of Luris saying you can't play cards that cost three or more are going to get better because they're allowing themselves to play better cards and stick to a game plan that makes them play more suboptimal cards at a higher uh, rate of succession, right? This kind of can be a similar idea with like Den and things like that. We're getting off topic a little bit because it's about third path, but it's relevant, um, to the idea that it's harder to cast. We'll get the better lands. You'll probably have to trim down some main lands anyway. I mean, um, in this deck, you already have Spire Bluff Canal, so your mana's already great. Yeah. And this is an it has basically perfect mana. So. Which, exactly. if we talk about mana bases anyway, just I just want to quickly throw out there that all these people were like, Pioneer is bad mana. I know what the fuck you're talking about. Like, enemy colors have bad mana. And, like, now they have their brushlet, so they're literally just waiting for their fast land, and they're fine. But people are just like, why can't I play a Leyline Binding for one mana on turn two? That must mean the mana is bad in this format. And it's like, no, we just don't have fetches. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> it pisses yeah. me off I, so I much. Would argue, I would argue that um, I, I'm still a firm believer that fetches promote poor gameplay and poor deck construction. 
um, and warp formats so incredibly much around them that it makes for un- like uh, not great gameplay in general. Um, and people that think that Pioneer is bad mana are so blinded by the fact that they've been spoiled with perfect mana thanks to Fetchlands being... Yeah. And on the record, Fetchlands being something that Wizards and designers of Wizards have openly stated that were a mistake. They're on record to say that. That Fetchlands yeah. were a mistake in terms of gameplay and design. So that's like basically saying like... Instantly stripping you know, them from Pioneer is the best decision they've ever made. Like agreed. It's the it single best decision identity. that Wizard has ever made to be like, all right, we've got this Pioneer format. Already a good idea. <laughs> My favorite mm-hmm. format. But just that like... But there's it's everything from then, but no fetches. Best idea they've ever had. Far and away. Well, before we talk about this too much, what is your number eight, Alex? My number eight is Lauren's Escape. I believe this was the last card to be spoiled from the whole set, at least according to Mythic Spoilers. And uh, it's a bit yep. of a heater. It's one white for an instant. Target artifact or creature gains hexproof and indestructible until end of turn. Scry one. So it's a protection spell, I think very reminiscent of um, Favored by the Gods. Is it Favored by the Gods? Yes. God's Willing. Um, oh, that's what you're referring to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's for obviously very, very reminiscent of God's Willing. Uh, protection is slightly different because it can make you like unblockable, but this can protect you from board wipes. But I just feel like this is this and God's Willing are the two best protection spells for Boros right now. Like, we've seen them play with things like, um, what's the one one, the one mana protection spell that just gives indestructible one plus one plus one or something? Um, um that's the one from my courier, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's with the cat dog thing on the art, whatever. Yeah, um, I know you're talking about, I can't think of the name. I think this is the best protection spell, um, maybe after God's Uh, winning. fight is one? The fight is, is one. one? Yeah. So, I just would wouldn't would be surprised if you don't see like a copy or two of this in like every Boros Heroic deck. And I think Boros Heroic is like such a like inherently powerful strategy that any car and and it's it's a very powerful strategy, but also it feels like a strategy where it's very hard to like ever add cards to it because one mana pump spells and one mana protection spells they're usually mm-hmm. very few and far between, and most of them kind of suck. So it's an archetype that I don't think often gets anything. So the fact that it now like gets another tool could immediately like spike it, and suddenly it's a really good deck again. So, and the scry one alone is is huge, right? Yeah, because the deck so, like, is so like, like vulnerable a... to just like drawing one land too many, and now you're fucked. Yeah, exactly. And this is another deck that we're you know we should expect to see pop up a bit more. I hope. For two reasons. One, anytime a new set comes out, play aggro. Aggro is usually the ones that come out to play because people are trying to do some dirtily bullshit with like new cards and that kind of thing. And aggro can take advantage of that. Uh, hashtag Gruel Stompy is going to be back for a week, and I'm not. Oh yeah, we're going to have one. Well, now we've got Gruel Boat, so I would be. Yeah, but I that's the mid range deck. So now we're going to. I would see, find it hilarious I, if that random fucking Embercleave Glorybringer deck shows up again for two weeks. Like it's it really again. should. <laughs> Really should. Shout out to the um, two Questing Beast, two Glorybringer, two Bushwhacker deck. Yep. <laughs> so, and on top of that, 
like we already said, Liliana's on the downswing in terms of seeing play and, you know, primarily Rakdos and Mono Black isn't that much of a thing in Pioneer. Uh, so with Lilia uh, being at one to two copies in a 75, or even in some cases, no copies in Rakdos, that's really prime real estate for a deck that's already really good against Rakdos without Liliana, getting an extra pump spell uh, or protection spell to help, you know, clear the way, so to speak. That's a great chance for that to come back up again. Yeah, and then we'll see Liliana come back again, and then that deck will go down in favor again. Then Liliana will go down in favor because they're not playing that that deck anymore. And then the rinse and repeat. One of my favorite cycles of any format is when you have literally one card dictating when a, a deck comes up or not, and then just kind of goes back and forth. Yeah, big fan of the Liliana reprint, by the way. Um, so, moving on, what is your number seven, Brad? My number seven is Misery's Shadow. Really cool name, cool art, but more importantly, it's a cool card. It's a two-mana 2-2 for one and a black for a shade. One of the most underlooked and underappreciated creature types in Magic that always has the same exact fucking ability stapled onto the creatures of pumping itself by plus one or plus two in some way for some type of mana. And of course, this card is no different. Though it does have a static ability, which is the reason it's on this list. If a creature in opponent controls would die, exiled instead. So it has the Kalidus ability stapled on right off rip. And then it has, you can pay one, not one black, by the way, one of any color. Misery's Shadow gets plus one, plus one until end of turn, and it is not a once per turn thing. Thank you. God. Finally, a buff it is a five-color shadow deck. Yeah. <laughs> it is a 2-2. It's, you know, on rate, it is a hate bear. It's tried and true. It is a hate bear. It does be able to pump itself. It does have the problem of dying to stomp, which, you know what? Isn't it funny how we no longer even say dies to shock anymore? We just say it dies to stomp, dies to stomp. because Bone Crusher <laughs> yeah. Giant is so fucking prevalent. Um... Anyway, it dies to that, and it dies to push, yada yada. But unironically, this is a card that a lot of decks that you're going against need to kind of get out of the way immediately. And some decks like Phoenix, for example, are decks that are damage-based removal, which is a good against. And when they need to kind of deal with it, if you have open mana and you kind of play around that idea that they have to kill this, you can pump in a response and try to like get it out of range. So that's kind of nice. Um, however, against like something like Grease Fang, they just have to, they just bring in Fatal Push from the board and they're kind of good to go. But game one, if you're for some reason playing this card in your main deck, uh, which frankly, I'm not sure why you would, but hey, free country, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> it's really good against Grease Fang. But like... right. I don't know. I'm just so like I'm very low on this card. Like, so you're already saying it's a sideboard card. Yeah, but like, out of which deck for which matchup? Primarily, I would say Phoenix for the most part. Um, but like, how is this good against Phoenix? They still fuel their yard. They take seven extra turns. Like, they don't do anything against that. It's just when a Phoenix resolves, and then you kill it, it goes to exile. Correct. And, like, there's, like, black removal spells that, like, you can run Cry of the Cranarium. That's true. It's one of those cards that I think uh, it's 
I have one of these for every top 10. It's it's the wait and see card. That as the format grows, the power level of this card goes up. I kind of wish this card's mana cost was black black. Just for the devotion? Yeah, I feel like this is the kind of card that just goes in like a black devotion deck. And then you just want it to be a lot of devotion. It's a good dump. Like we already now, have a two mana like, card that's better. Which one? In, mon- in devotion. The one from Theros Beyond Death. The the the, the, the soldier king. boy. Dimoran or Yeah, the king. Yeah, because he's two yeah, mana he exiles to two creature cards. No, but he so like that's what I was arguably like better against Phoenix in game one. Yeah, true, but I mean like for the sake of like what you could like main deck and be like a reasonable beat stick. I would like this if it, I would like it more if it was black black because then I could see like this might have room in mono black, like mono black devotion specifically. Now I'm like I don't really go right know where it goes. Yeah, it's it's one that is really easy to kind of look at and be like, whatever. Um, but as, again, as the format goes, you know, further along, we've seen Kalidus, you know, we've seen certain metas where like that type of like effect that Kalidus has of exiling cards is relevant. Um, and I'm sure we'll see it again. Right now, there aren't very many decks that are playing to the board in that way and utilizing the graveyard as a way to reanimate stuff except for like phoenix and things like that but like you said they've already just put them to the bin anyway i can see like a world where there's a sort of sacrifice kind of deck and then mono a mono black aggro kind of deck plays this in the main yeah this would be great against sack yeah that's the one deck that this thing just hoses immediately and as a sack player uh please don't play this card it's um, it shouldn't be on my list yeah, I was on the Shoxies podcast uh, the other day with um, with Carnage, Carnage. and we kind of talked about yeah. like it seems like every set that comes out, Wizards is just like fuck sack. Like every every set just has so many cards where you're like, I don't know where this is good, except it's really good against sack. <laughs> just, yep. Just every set, we just got a bunch of cards that are very good against Rectal Sack, so. But I'm gonna love taking this from my opponents in Zack. And then just pumping it and then sacking it. Well, if you pump it twice and you suck to the oven, you get an extra food. Synergy. Synergy. Which is actually really relevant. Because you're green man on it. Yeah. Well, it's really relevant. It's really relevant. Uh, because like by getting the extra food in matchups where they're playing cards like this, that's a pretty big deal when they uh, try to do like things with like uh what's it called? Uh, unlicensers. I'm going to try and bring cat back. All right, I target cat. I'm going to sack the other food. I will say the best thing you can do with this card, so you play it in like a mono, an almost mono black devotion deck. You make way too much mana. You pump this and then you fling and then you literally throw shade at your opponent and they die. I hate you. Yeah, you you get you get right onto that. You go ahead and make your power stone deck. My power stone shade thrower. Fling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have fun with that one. That's a, that's an against the odds deck if I've ever seen it. It's really just the. It's it's this kind of like win con you put in one of those decks where just like at one point you make infinite mana, you draw your deck. And you're kind of like, I could just win however I want. And I can think of like a clever win condition 
or I just put shade and a fling in my deck. Yeah. I'm going to do it. Got to have to pre-order this card. Oh, my God. No, I won't. All right. Now your number seven. My number seven. This is, uh, this is a decent card for Rectal Sack for a change. It is Diabolic Intent. One in a black for a sorcery. As an additional cost to cast this spell, sacrifice a creature. Search your library for a card, put that card into your hand, and then shuffle. I'm going to be honest, I don't think this card is, like, amazing for Pioneer. But I think it is a very powerful card. It is an inherently very powerful effect. Um, I think Demonic Tutor would be, like, one of the best cards in the format, if not the best card in the format. Uh, obviously, uh, adding Sacrifice a Creature to Demonic Tutor is a big ask, but there's decks that can do this. Uh, there's decks like uh, Grease Fang. Now, I don't think this goes in ups on Grease Fang, like, at all, but I think it can open Grease Fang up to being, like, Straight Ors of Grease Fang with better mana, Mardu Grease Fang, Esper Grease Fang, and they'd probably be interested in this card. I think it can go in Rectal Sack as like a one or a two of. And it's just, this isn't a real wait and see card. Because if we get some one drop that wants to be sacrificed, think Stitcher Supplier, but if we get like some co more cards in that vein, going like. You know, there have been cards in the past that, like, give you mana when they die. Mm -hmm. So if there's just, like, a good card like that, that you can then sect a Diabolic Intent and then tutor up a card and then use that mana to cast it or whatever, uh, I think that can be super powerful. So in the future, this card could just, like, enable a completely cracked deck. But I think for now, I wouldn't, like, wouldn't worry, but this is a very strong card. And so I thought it kind of had to make the list. Yeah, I know. I think it's fair. Um, I will reserve my thoughts on it because it is somewhere later on in my list in some way. All right, Brad. So you're number six. My number six is a very simple card. It is called Lay Down Arms. One white mana for a sorcery that says exile target creature with mana value less than or equal to the number of planes you control. Its controller gains three life. So... This leads into my next one a little bit, um, but this uh, this goes nicely in any kind of aggressive shell uh, that is looking to just kind of pump up their team, get some like uh, mono white humans, for example, or even like uh, maybe Azorius uh, soldiers we might see pop up because we got a lot of good soldiers, including a really good card that goes into that color. And this is a nice way to just be like, yeah, I would rather you not have that big old cavalier in my way. So let's get that out of the way and let's hit you for the final amount of damage. Because the way that these decks typically play is turn four or five is when they're looking to finish you off and kill you if you're not you know, playing against a deck that can just sweep your board, right? So if you're going against Mono Green, for example, they'll play turn two Troll or turn four Cavalier, for example. And they might be playing that turn five Cavalier or that, that, that Troll down as like, I need this to survive one turn, and then next turn I can activate Nykthos and go off, basically is what they're doing. And then you just go lay down arms, get rid of it, and even though they gain a three life, the damage you're presenting in your board state, because again, this is only one mana, so that still gives you room to go, like, what, one mana, remove a thing, then play like a, uh, what's the Thali's Lieutenant to pump your team, or the Soldier Lord, or whatever, and then just win anyway. So this is going to be very good in those ki kinds of decks. Um, and effectively replace 
uh, portable hole that we see those decks play every so often as their early game removal because it goes nicely with, uh, you know, the fact that they run planes. Otherwise, I don't really see this going anywhere else. This is really a card made for aggressive decks. If this was an instant, then yes, I could see it being played in control in some way. Um, they'd have to kind of finesse their mana base a little bit to, uh, you know, inflate their planes count. But I think it might be worth it for a path to exile type of effect for control. But yeah, if this card wasn't I instant, guess... it'd be cracked. It'd probably be my number one card in the, in, in the set. Yeah, but thankfully for us, it is a sorcery. It is a sorcery. So it's not that good. Though still very serviceable in where it can go, where it can see play. Yeah, I think it's like outside of like a mono white aggressive deck, I don't think this ever sees play. The moment you go into another color, uh, first of all, it becomes harder to trigger, and you get access to the removal in that color. So like an Orsoft yep. deck or something would just like, you know, like fatal push and those type of cards. Um, I feel like the problem with this card is that the math just doesn't really work out for like it to be like very reliable. Because um, I just found like a, a tweet by Frank Garston today, so um, thanks for that, uh, Frank. So he said, in a 40-card deck, so there's always talk about limited, with 10 planes, you're only 53% chance to draw 3-plus planes in your first 12 cards. So if we translate that to constructed, so you want to have a 50-50 for this to kind of be like, to be able to remove that troll... You need to run 15 planes. And I'm pretty sure most mono-white decks don't run 15 planes. Because they run a bunch of, like, Shepherd Dunes and Mutavault, and they have a really low land count, and it might run, like, a Cave Frost Dragon or two, or a Castle or two. And I don't know if mm. skewing your mana base to make the math on this card a little better is worth it. And you would rather just not be on, like, Deccan Stone and just not have to bother. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. Um, now, if you're playing a budget deck, this card's kick ass. Like, if you just play like budget mono white aggro and you do genuinely have like 19 planes in your deck, this is actually just like a really good removal spell. So wait, hold on, isn't um, isn't the uh, what's the one card? I don't even know if they play it. The one that gives a counter. From Eldraine, isn't that a planes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that cycle was like because that was the problem with the the fucking blue one. Yeah, because the fact that it actually fetched. Yeah, that's why it's banned. So I guess you could play that instead of like some other ones, just to kind of like it still helps out your 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 game plan of pumping your creatures and stuff, by also still giving you you know utility lands that care about being planes. Yeah, hang on. I, I just feel like this is like in mono white, maybe in mono white on a budget, it's awesome. It's a really great card. So, yeah, I think that's fair. Sometimes for that reason, that's also like a reason for a card to be awesome. Like, it's just really good for budget decks. And magic is expensive enough as it is. I ordered a deck with bro cards in, and I was like, wow, this is only 50 bucks. What a cheap deck. You know? So, <laughs> and that's because I already had all the mana base. Yeah, do you want to buy a budget magic deck or do you want to spend $70 on the new Call of Duty? Eh? There's it's your... like, uh, you know what? I'll just spend 80 cents on my mana base and buy a new game for my Switch. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that, that's the thing about the game is like it's it is a even though our budget decks, we call them budget decks, but they're still like a hundred bucks. Well, right? I think you can build mono white on a budget, and it's genuinely a pretty cheap deck. I think you can yeah. have like forty buck mono white aggro, which is still not like, you know, realistically, it's not budget budget. Yeah, it's still not free to play. You're not you're not doing the arena or Marvel Snap thing of being like I'm not spending a single fucking dollar in this game and I'm still <laughs> yeah. in pool three of my collection and I have a meta deck or whatever just by just jamming out some cards. Can't really do that in uh, in Magic, unfortunately. At least in a paper capacity. Yeah, I guess you can draft and then like money pick. But isn't like, it more better? Isn't it better to just do well in your drafts and get more packs as prize support and then try get those? I guess you can balance it. You know, if I'm playing like, if I'm I playing, like if I'm drafting like Dominaria United, and I'm playing like Gruel Aggro, and I open my last pack, and there's a Shieldred in there, I'm fucking oh yeah, absolutely, that. yeah, I'm, <laughs> dude, I'm I'm splashing black to play it because that's a bomb. Yeah, or just like that that's a free draft, limited. awesome. <laughs> yeah, but even if yeah. she wouldn't be good in limited, like, hey, cool, my draft is now paid for. <laughs> Yeah, last week we did we did a draft, and for some reason it was because the store had way too many of it in like overstock, so they wanted to like get rid of some. So we drafted a new Capenna, and I after after playing Dominar United, I really don't like new Capenna Limited. But I think a lot of people already didn't like it at the time. Yeah, and I was I one of the people that was like, I think it's fine. Set at my LGS too. Yeah, it wasn't that. It was a really like. It wasn't very good. It wasn't very good. Kind of makes me sad. So, but we'll see how it goes tomorrow with Brothers War. But what is your number six card? My number Alex? six is a card that I'm still not a hundred percent sure is standard legal. It's from Jumpstart, which I it's believe legal. makes it standard legal. So Pioneer it's le- legal. There's there's two. There are two. For those who don't know, before we get onto this, there are two Jumpstart products. Pretty much every set now. Well, not every set, but like there is a jumpstart product for every set that is a standard legal jumpstart, similar to the uh, if you think about Theros Beyond Death, those uh, special like packs like or like bonus packs. packs or the theme packs that had like uh, the Beckoner Warcry or Be- Death Bell Warcry for the Minotaurs. That is in that, and that was a standard legal card. So then you can play I am that Pioneer. Valkyrie this in Call the, Time, like yeah. This is the same, yeah, exactly. Like the one that Angels play, the two drop, that's like a $7 uncommon because it was only in those fucking packs. That is a legal card. This is the same concept. This is Jumpstart Brothers War separate from Jumpstart 2022. Yeah, Jumpstart so 2022 is Green, not legal. Make sure to pre-order one copy, you only need one, hey, of Woodcaller Automaton. It is a 10 mana 8-8 colorless card. Artifact creature construct. Um, when Woodcaller Automaton enters the battlefield, if you cast it, untap target land you control. It becomes a tree folk creature with haste and base power and toughness equal to Woodcaller Automaton's power and toughness. It is still a land. You can also prototype it for two green green, and then it is a three three. Now, I've I'm basically ba- I feel like this card isn't that great, but a lot of people have said it's ridiculous in mono green so i'm just gonna assume oh, it's the scenario insane. it's that, insane like in i i don't play mono green but i feel like because if you do the math if you want to make a jump in mana you need to activate karn with six mana available and then you can grab this card and untap your nykthos and activate it again 
And if you prototype it, this provides two devotion, so you you're nick mm -hmm. those jumps even more. But if you've got six mana, how often is a situation where you have six mana available when you go in Karn and not eight, and you just grab a cityscape leveler? Like, well, this I helps feel, you how, go further. How often th this is that? helps you. This might be the difference if you're at that six mana level, or even if you're at the eight mana level. This yeah, you can might be the jump difference into going of, infinite. yeah, exactly. That that two devotion and untapping that extra untap for Nykthos, because uh, you're probably already having a board where you already have Kiora uh, for another untap or Teferi for that matter, and then this is just another way to help you go with that combo. I think that's why the card would be in the deck. That's why the card would be in the sideboard. Um, it's just extra utility for your combo piece. Um, and it's just a 3-3 body, which is fine. It's just, you know, it's fine. Yeah, it's just that's why it done, didn't go as high for me, because I feel like the situation that comes up, it doesn't, like, I feel like fundamentally, like, change anything about the deck. It's just, like, nope. a good card. So, like, yeah. you'll probably play it. It's sometimes going to be... I feel like it's one of these where a lot of people put cards in their cardboard that are relevant, like, one out of 50 matches, and that probably means it shouldn't be in. And this is going to be relevant, like, one out of, like, five matches. So, like, every FNM, you, like, grab this, like, once. But it's very relevant when you grab it once, and maybe you grab it twice. And people nowadays put cards in their cardboard that you grab, like, once every three months of playing. So, hey, this is probably better. I mean, I can't tell you the last time I grabbed the fucking Tormod script out of my cardboard when I've played it. <laughs> but it's there, because I feel like I need to have it just in case. So, I think it's good. It's not It's not on my list, spoiler, but it's uh, it's good. I just wanted to and before look at, is there not another artifact that untaps target land, but no. So well, actually... before we uh, we go to number five, we're at the halfway point of the list, so that means we're going to take a quick little ad break. So go ahead and listen and enjoy. I think my voice is this time's week thing. Last week was yours on its own. Maybe it was mine on its own. Maybe it's oh yours God. on its own. This not going to go back and listen to the episode then. <laughs> All right, we'll be back. Thank you so much for checking the episode so far now if you want to support us some more uh, in addition to your viewership you can go over to patreon.com slash pioneer perspective where we have multiple tiers set up that allow you to interact with us in some uh, other way you can get either a shout out on the show or if you go into a higher tier you can suggest topics uh, or even vote for topics so you can have a bit of control over what we talk about here Another way to support us is to check over uh, our articles over at playingpioneer.com or use our Ink Gaming affiliate link where you can either find our merch or even through our link buy other merch and that still lets you know Ink Gaming know that we are getting them some engagement. Another way to support us is to follow us on Twitter. You can find Brad over at Bradsifer or myself over at Alex Lockthwain and get our engagement numbers up that way. Another way to uh, play some magic even with us is to join us over at the uh, Playaway Discord server where you can either join in one of the leagues or just randomly find a game, tag someone, tag a format. If you tag Pioneer, I'll probably see it. 
or you can interact with us through the mailbag and ask your questions and leave your suggestions there, which is for free. Anyone is allowed to do that. Now, a quick shout out too to um, Card Hoarder, who has allowed us onto our, their creator network, which means we're allowed to make content a little bit easier through practicing on NDGO and that sort of thing. So, quick shout out and thanks to them. And if you want to use uh, Card Hoarder services to get your cards on Magic Online, I would recommend that you do so. And now back to the episode. And we're back. Going on to number five. Uh, oh, yeah, it's my turn. Yes. For five. So. My number five is a land. But Alex, typically, we say no lands a lot on the top ten. But these but are too cool we and say they should no, do them every set. And we say no cycles. This is not a cycle. Fortified Beachhead. It's land. It creates either white or creates either white or blue mana. And it says as fortified uh, beachhead enters the battlefield. You may reveal a soldier card from your hand. It enters the battlefield tapped unless you revealed a soldier card this way. Or you control a soldier. So on first read, I thought this card was like kind of mid. Because it's like, well, why would I just, you know, not play like a, uh, you know, one of the rainbow lands for like tribes. Like humans already plays. But... When I got to, or you control a soldier, I was like, oh yeah, this is way better. Because all you need to do is just control a soldier and it enters untapped. Easy. Yeah, this card is great. It's great for and soldier. I think white and blue are also very relevant colors to not be playing Rainbow Lands. Because they are yeah. for like hate pieces, counter magic. Like, um, I think someone tweeted, which I thought was great, that what is it from the last set? Like, protect the negotiators? Which mm-hmm. is that, like, counter spell uh, equal to number of creatures? No, it's, like, counter... Oh, you're right, yeah. Unless you right. pay one yeah, for each right. creature you control, and you can kick yep. it for white, and it makes soldiers. Which is just, like, absolute perfect fit in, like, a more mid-rangey, instant-speed, controly soldier deck, as opposed mm-hmm. to just traditional beatdown aggro. But wait, Alex, there's more. This card does one more thing other than tap for blue or white. You can pay five generic mana, tap, and soldiers you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn. So Almost not only good. is it a flexible card, it just pumps your team in the late game if you need it to. I mean, it just says Shepherd Dunes that doesn't have to sack itself, which is good because Shepherd Dunes is a good card in aggro decks. Yeah. But yeah, this card's big ass. This card is awesome. And there are plenty of soldiers in this set that I'm already interested in. Of course, last set, we got a Soldier Lord from the Cycle of Dominaria, which is a 2-drop 2-2 that pumps your uh, teams by uh, by one, your other soldiers. Also, when it's in the graveyard, you can pay 5 mana, exile it, and then give all your soldiers plus 1 counters. So that's really cool. But this this set also gave us uh, a couple other soldiers that are really interesting. There's one that's really good, uh, which is... Recruitment Officer, we'll talk more about that one later. There's Harbin, Vanguard Aviator, which is a 2-drop 3-2 with Flying, Legendary Human Soldier. Whenever you attack with 5 or more Soldiers, you you control get plus 1, plus 1, and gain Flying until end of turn. I mean, honestly, I feel like the second line is almost flavor text, because when you're attacking with 5 Soldiers, you're already doing alright. But the fact that this is just a 2-mana 3-2 Flyer, yeah, that's like... I mean, giving... Ignoring the plus 1, plus 1, giving them Flying on attack... 
is insane against some decks. Yeah. So, like, I don't think it's going to come up very often, but when it comes up, it's because it's just one new game. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there is Yoshian Tactician. I don't think you'll play this. It's a four drop, three, four. That's pretty much for limited only. Other soldiers you control get plus one, plus one. Cool, yeah. but, you know. If you wanted to go into uh, Jeskai, you could play the third path iron class to make soldier tokens. There's also... A really interesting three drop I'm a big fan of. Siege Veteran, which is three mana for a two two. At the beginning of combat on your turn, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control. Whenever another non token soldier you control dies, create a one one soldier token artifact creature. So that's a way to kind of keep yourself going if they, you know, get rid of your big soldiers that are threats, keep pumping them. Um, so that's kind of cool. I think it's interesting. There's also another three drop. In blue, for Sky Strike Officer, 3 mana for a 2-3 flying human soldier. Whenever Sky Strike Officer attacks, create a 1-1 colorless soldier artifact creature token, and then you can tap 3 untapped soldiers to control and just draw a card. Yeah, what's so kind of cool really, about that nice one is that wide. it can still attack and then create a soldier, and that soldier isn't tapped and attacking, and it's often a downside, but here it kind of doesn't matter because you can just use that soldier to draw a card instead. Yep. So that's pretty cool. Uh, I... I really wish if I could give a semi, I, th- I think personally, semi-reasonable ask for wizards. I want every single set from now onwards that has even a semi-supported tribe to just give us a tribal land like this. Like, I, yeah. see, I see no downsides. It makes the mana in the tribe better. Tribes are generally aggressive cards, uh, aggressive decks, because, well, they have to be. They're creature decks that go wide and play for the board. Um, so having tapped mana sucks, right? So they can't run half the lands that other decks potentially can. Um, it's never really a threat of creating perfect mana in a format because they're tribal. So it just, it's just amazing, amazing. Just do this all you the time, it's... please. You know, it's, I was just thinking of, so that idea of like giving us more tribal lands led to me being like, I want a vampire one. Just give me an Orzhov vampire yeah. one. I want a, I want a vampire one. I want uh, when we go back to Ixalan, for the love of God, give us a merfolk, a vampire, a pirate, and a dinosaur one. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, but that led me to thinking, you know, let's do some different things with the uh, the ability. Um, like instead of just having them all just be generic five mana or whatever get pumped the team let's have them be specific to the tribes and i was thinking one for vampires and then i was thinking this would be a perfect opportunity to introduce introduce a new keyword or mechanic or ability for for creatures because it my thinking is like four or five mana creature vampires you control gain and my thinking would be just name this drain or um well maybe life steal (laughs) no no because I want them to have lifelink, but when they deal combat damage to a player, you gain so you life want... equal to the damage dealt, and they lose life additionally equal to the damage dealt. So you mean even if your creatures get blocked, your opponent still loses life? Correct. Seems pretty crazy. It basically means your game, your board is unblockable. Correct. Well, damn. But I that, stand is by it. that is not make a card. That is not a card that we're getting. Hopefully, make it a vampire only mechanic. You, you just really want. You're just like 
I'm being or, somewhat reasonable. You're like, can we please make the vampire land be the best man, the best creature land ever printed? Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Please. <laughs> uh, no, you could you could just make it so like okay, you can make it like the it says drain, and it's like when this creature deals common damage to a player, it's just lifelink. If it is blocked, that player loses life equal to the damage. But you don't gain life. I guess. Something like that? Maybe. Let's stick to Brothers There's a way card. to balance it. Let's stick to Brothers Let's, War cards for now. There's a way to now. balance that. It, it, it it's sadly, be good. It'll be a while before we're in Ixalan. Even though I'm already looking forward to it. Fall of 2023, right? So a year yeah, so that's, that's about a year. Yeah. I yeah, think we'll, we'll be here before we know it. Yeah, we'll be here before we know. I'll be a nice break after Infinity War. Um, Phyrexia. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Time travel, baby. But yeah, just to wrap up, this card is awesome. I love these tribal lands. We need as many of these as we can. Yeah, I'm a big fan of it, and I like soldiers a lot. And I think, uh, you know, this is pretty cool. So right, what is your number five? My number five is um, probably the most boring card in the set. It is Obliterating Bolt. So it is Lava Coil, but it can also hit Planeswalkers. So it's just one and a red for a sorcery, four damage to a creature or Planeswalker. If that creature or Planeswalker would die this turn, exile it instead. Just Lava Coil, cease play. It's a good card. This is strictly better Lava Coil play this. Agreed. Pretty simple. Uh, I think it's potentially good out of Rakdos, where if you're playing in against Mono Green, it can now deal with um, Troll, but it can also deal with Karn. Dealing 4 damage to Kiora makes it reasonable enough to potentially kill her. Like Fatal Push the Elf, Coil, Obliterating Bolt the Kiora, and then attack her with the um, Blood Tithe Harvester you've just played so that becomes reasonable this can, I mean obviously just like Lava Coil this can like dub, team up with a Stomp to deal with a Cavalier um, this can come out of red decks where it could, you know, where it's it, it's just gonna do what Lava Coil does but occasionally you're gonna throw it at a Planeswalker and it's upside, just random upside to a card that is already good, so this card is guaranteed to see play yeah, I have nothing to add to it other than it is just strictly better Lava Coil. That's it. Play the card. It, it was the same with Magma Spray and Flameless Bolt. We got Flameless Gold. Magma yep. Spray no longer sees play. Flameless Bolt sees play. Same thing. Pretty here. much. Quick question before we go on to number four. I don't want to spend too much time on this card, but I just saw it for the first time today, like 30 seconds ago. It's called No One Left Behind. It's a five mana, four and a black sorcery. This spell costs three less to cast if it targets a creature with mana value three or less. Return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Yeah, this card's good. I don't think it's like phenomenal, yeah. but like two mana, get a three drop back. Like that's a decent rate. We've seen that. And if you want to spend five mana on it, honestly, five mana for a generic reanimation spell is just the rate that we get in Pioneer. Like, we have okay, well, four mana ones, but they generally have, like, large downsides, like that Shieldred card from uh, from Dominaria United, or they have some yeah. additional costs, like Blood for Bones. So this is a decent rate. You can have a reanimation deck that, like, 
this could be the reanimation card, but this could also bring back an enabler like Tomebound Lich, like in a pinch. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, because this compares to another card that's in the set that I should have talked about with... Uh... Actually, no, I, c- I can talk about it in my number four. So I can talk about it right now. Let's fucking go. My number four is two cards paired together because they do the same thing and the same thing, and I'm going to basically encapsulate all of them. Because Brad it's, always has to cheat on his top 10. I do. <laughs> Simeon, Simulacrum, Simulacrum, fuck, and Yoshian Descendant. Or Dissident. So, first, the monkey is a three-mana artifact. Monkey. Yep. Colorless. 2-1 ape. When it enters the battlefield, put two plus one plus one counters on target creature control. Then it has Unearth of two and double uh, double green. So that doesn't seem like it's super great off off of just looking at it. I'm thinking for scales because the next card is Yoshin Dissident, a two-mana 1-1 for Silesia colors, green and a white, a human artificer that says whenever whenever an artifact enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control. So my thinking is a Silesnia, potentially... Abzan, but let's probably lean more to Selesnia first. Artifact-centered Hardened Scales deck. Using this card, Conclave Mentor, something like... Uh, which one? Clay Golem, the 4-drop, the 4-mana 2-2 that you can put either green mana or white yeah, from mana this set. that does counter things. Yep, that one too. Uh, also Stone Cold Serpent. You can play Michigo's uh, Reign of Truth uh, to pump them as well. Um... Another card, though, that I'm really, really interested in for this this type of strategy is Recommission. It's a, it's a common in this set, two mana, one and a white, for a sorcery that says return target artifact or creature card with mana value three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. If a creature enters the battlefield this way, it enters with an additional plus one, plus one counter on it. So when they remove things like the monkey... Um, or your uh, your basically like your Yoshin Dissident or your Conclave Mentor, um, things like that, or even your Stone Cold Serpent, because uh, Stone Cold Serpent hits the battlefield with the plus plus one counter on it, so it's a one one, and then Hardened Scales would make it a two two or whatever whatever. Um, so this seems a really nice card in this deck as well to keep bringing things back, because um, a lot of your deck is three or three or less, I'm, right? For a lot of your, I'm shit. starting to. Th- think now that i see this card something like simian simulacrum i feel like there is a chance that your hardened scales deck doesn't want hardened scales because there's a couple of these cards like simulacrum that is just like a one shot of a bunch of counters and i'm starting to think like maybe you don't actually want to be in scales which often does like a lot of small ball uh counter shit but you just want to be in a deck that like cares about power so, like, this Simulacrum, when you unearth it, you put the counters on something else, because this dies at the end, you're left with a power. Maybe this is a deck that runs, like, Old Growth Troll, and you put counters on it, and it's a big trampler. Um, like, something like that, and you maybe, you know, that gives you room to even just put, like, a card like Questing Beast in, because it doesn't need to have mm-hmm. the counter synergy, it's just a card that is good when you put counters on it. And you might even go yeah. in that kind of direction and just play... Uh, what is that... The 
Golgari like Hydra card from Zendikar Rising. Yeah, the one Isn't that's that a free drop, like, right? It creates an XX where X is its power like, mm-hmm. when it dies, and it's already a 3 3. You just like, pump just it more. Play that yeah. and just like randomly dump two counters on it. You don't need to be in a dedicated scales list, but it is a card that gets really good if you just randomly throw a bunch of counters on it. Shame for Risk- Rishkar. Rishkar is just a three mana four four if you think about it. Like, then you, you can also play, play the uh, Kadama the West Tree, right? To yeah. give all your stuff trample too. Yeah, exactly. Like you could do something like that. Are you just not going to be in scales because scales is like. It's a bit awkward if you start on it because it means you're not starting on an elf, so your start is slower. It's a terrible top deck. So maybe you just go like a little bigger and you only run scales in the form of like Conclave Mentor or Winding Constrictor because they're at least like aggressive creatures that you can proactively mm. play and they give you some benefit to having counters where you just skip out on the whole skills thing. If you do stick with the uh, the artifact synergy like scales idea, even if it's not with scales, but playing Yoshin Dissident and a lot of these artifact creatures that care about counters, like the ones we named already, even things like the Ozolith to like basically store your counters as yeah. well, which also uh, procs uh, Dissident. There's another one that I like called Teething Wormlet. It's a one mana one one for a single green in this set. It's a worm. It has death touch as long as you control three or more artifacts. And then whenever an artifact enters the battlefield, you gain one life. And if it's the first time this happens uh, this turn, you put a counter on it. So if you have this out and you have like Dissident out or whatever, and you play like a Stone Coal for one or a uh, like an Ozolith or the, the Ape or whatever, and you put you, the Ape targets this card, put two counters on it, and then you put another counter on it to give it make it a 4-4 four, four pretty quickly. Or if you have Dissident out, it's a 5-5, five, five, right? Pretty much off rip. Yeah, I'm just think. Oh, uh, sadly, Winding Constrictor is not an artifact. Looks a bit like a Robot Snake, but yeah, unfortunately. Because I was thinking, if you go down that route, I would like a deck that also drops the elves and goes and plays cards like that, Pelt Collector, Experiment 100%. One. Yep. And you just don't, again, you just don't bother with the scales, and you just want to go for that either like an elf start going into these powerful three drops, or you just completely ditch that too, so you could play a bunch of good two drops, and you just go like I, I still remember. Okay, this was with scales, uh, but I feel like without skills, it would have still been nuts. One of the first pioneer um, matches I ever played at an LGS, my opponent went pelt collector, pelt collector, pelt collector. And then on turn three, they just went hard and scales winding constrictor, and all their pelt collectors were four fours. And I was just like, now obviously again you need the scales for that, but what if you just play like eight or twelve of these effects or whatever that like grow when you play mm-hmm. another creature? They're, they'd all be three threes. It's not like that's a bad turn three. <laughs> True, but if you go the artifact route, and because um, I like your idea too with the pelt collector and stuff like that, so there's nice two ways you can go about this with the simulacrum. Um, but I really like the artifact-centered idea. And then you can play Steel Overseer, which is a card that I really like that I can keep pumping stuff. Like, there are a, a yeah, lot of random artifacts that are like, we care about plus one, plus one stuff. And then on top of that, if you go the artifact route that are artifact creatures and you play Recommission, a lot of your big hits are artifact creatures that come in with an additional counter. And like, This seems like a genuine strategy that could be decent. And with with Mashigo's Reign of Truth, then that gives you that additional over-the-top kind of swing in. 
Yeah, and even though, like, obviously Steel Overseer is crazy with hardened skills, but even without hardened skills, it's not like Steel Overseer is not a good card without hardened skills. Yeah, I Like, agree. tap, give four creatures a 1-1 counter, it's not like that's bad. <laughs> like, no, that also very all. quickly ends games, even if the counters aren't doubled. You could still double them if you're playing, like, Binding Constrictor or Conclave Mentor. Um, I can imagine there's even other cards like this that are just like a higher mana cost. Uh, I can also imagine yeah. if you go a little bigger, you just go fight rigging. True. Because like we have fight seen rigging, scales fight rigging before. Yeah, distributing counters every turn and just like randomly your three mana card gives you a four drop. Like that's still mm -hmm. really good. Like you don't need to hit a Vorinclex off the card to be good. Though you could yeah. put Vorinclex in. And like um, Rishkar or something can help you like ramp into it. The Vorinclex doubles your counters anyway and stuff, so. Yeah. Yeah, I really like this. I really like this idea. I, I have been a huge fan of scales decks for like the longest time. And now that, and also another card that I just forgot to mention is the, uh, the one from Kamigawa, the two mana one, one with ward two, whenever an artifact is cast, it gets a counter. The workshop work chief or whatever. Oh, what was that again? I know what you mean, but I don't know the exact things of the card. Workshop war chief is from, um, that's like the Thrak Tusk from uh, Capenna. So I don't think you're talking about that one. It's um... Patchwork Automaton. Oh, yeah, that one. That card's great. Yeah. So in this deck, it can it's an additional threat that gets out of hand pretty quickly. Yeah, whenever you cast an artifact spell, put a post post counter on the Patchwork Automaton. So you cast this, and then... So that's actually really nice with Dissident because now what happens is it casts, um, put a counter on it, and then when it enters, you you get the additional counter. So I like cast? how they're separate counter. No, Dissident is when it is an ETB for artifacts. Yeah, but what is Automaton? Automaton is a cast. Automaton's a cast. Oh, Whenever so you, you cast an artifact spell. When you cast, you get a counter, and then Dissident gives you another 1-1 one, one counter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, I got it. Yeah. I like this a lot. And it's Ward 2, which we've seen before. Ward is a as a as an ability that if you can just make them stumble and have to ward, essentially man. take a turn off. Like, I mean, there's so many cards with Ward that might as well have fucking Hexproof. Where I'm like, this does not solve the problem <laughs> at all. Yeah. We Ooh, thought Hexproof was toxic. Go, Here's Graveyard Trespasser, which means you've also Alex, lost a game once you paid a ward cost. If we go Abzan for this, then you can play that new, th the one that I had, the, the Flesh Gorger. Because getting counters on that, on that 3-3 body, you don't even ever have to worry about casting it for 7, because it's still, its ward is still pay life equal to its power. So and you're going to need the lifelink for how painful your mana base is going to be, but... True. I mean, we get the Fastlands next, the fast next set, lands, but yeah. You've got the Golgari Fastlands and the Orzhov mm -hmm. Fastland already. And, and then if you, you want to run it with Flashgorger, this is one black black, and you have yep. all the black Fastlands. Yep. So this mana might not even be too... But in this deck, I think you absolutely want to be like too careful that uh, worry... I'd be worried that you want to have a lot of green mana on turn one, because all your early plays are green. 
Mm-hmm. So then you don't really want to run the ores off fast land, but then you're going to get into trouble with casting Flesh Gorge. I think the mana is the main question here, but like it's it's workable. Yeah, I We've think, got the pain lands I think the mana is like... I think it can be worked around pretty easily. Yeah, but um, this might be still a mana confluence kind of deck. Maybe. Or maybe it's a... Uh, are these all constructs? Hold on. Are all the artifact creatures constructs? Flesh Gorger is already a Phyrexian Worm, so... Fuck. Why are you a Phyrexian... I mean, I guess... I mean, why are you a Phyrexian Worm? <laughs> oh, yeah, and Simurakum is just an ape. And then, like, yeah, they're all, like, their own specific types. That's... I mean, that's cool, but also a little annoying. But... I don't know. It. I like this idea. This sounds fucking fun, and, like really really cool and these are there's a there are enough cards in this set to you know justify spawning an archetype and there's also just a bunch of different builds so that's always kind of yeah so there's not like one obvious way to go but there's actually like you know how synergistic do i want to be versus how like consistent sometimes sometimes that's the downside though right whenever like whenever we get new cards like this and there's one clear-cut way to build the deck that makes sure that everyone is testing that particular build and fine-tuning that build and finding the yeah, best Yeah, and if there's like there. 25 builds, people are like, ah, it's not worth it to put my time into, and they'll just blame on it. Exactly. Me. So this is another card that, uh, another another deck that's probably going to fall to the wayside in terms of the meta because people can't fine-tune it. But about, I really think this could be you? really powerful. How about you go and brew and test a bunch of this and we get Doomwake on again? <laughs> like, he's also a big skills fan. Yeah. We could just have an episode on scales. Yeah, I'll I'll even send the list and stuff like that to him and my idea because I get he'll he maybe he can play it on stream. I'll fucking donate the deck too. I don't care. Right, cool. Give him a dono deck. All right, so number four for you, Alex. Yes, my number four is one of the first spoilers of the set. It is a recruitment officer. It is one white for a two-one human soldier with an activated ability. Look at the top four cards of your library. You may review a creature card with mana value three or less from among them and put them into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. I mean, that's not too much to say, because this card is just really good. Um, it is a Savannah Lion. It is a human. It is a soldier, which is relevant, because the uh, one-drops in humans, most of them are knights. I think there's a knight. There's a warlock. Um, the main soldiers are now this one. There's soldier of the Pantheon, and there's Kithian. So, between Kithian not wanting to be played as a 4-off, because he's legendary, so let's say you play 2 Kithian, 4 Recruitment Officer, 4 Soldier of the Pantheon, that now means Mm -hmm. that you have enough 1-drops to be playing Soldiers. And, you know, a lot of people have talked about that, like, you can play that sort of Soldiers human deck. Um, I think that would just be a Soldier deck that still plays... um, What's the 3-drop from Innistrad? The Knight Adeline. That just like it's a yes. it's a soldier deck, but it still plays Adeline because Adeline's cracked. Um, Doesn't Adeline make soldiers or just just humans? No, she just makes humans. But like mm. that still triggers like your Thalia's lieutenant and stuff. So because that yeah. still works with all humans. Yep. So that now spawn is potentially enough to make her good soldiers. I think even if you're playing regular mono white humans, you might play this card. And I can imagine in that case, it's not a four off. Because there's a lot of good one drops with upside, like uh, Hopeful Initiate and um, 
denied Dauntless Bodyguard. But especially if you look at the um, the meta, and obviously Rakdos is the kind of deck that kind of poops on Mono White. At least it's supposed to poop on Mono White if they don't get out aggroed. I think mm-hmm. this card is just so good in that matchup or in any grindy matchup, also like Blue-White Control or whatever. Because if you're playing against Blue-White, you just play like two creatures and you have this and you just start activating it every turn. Like, are they going to sweep like your one drop and your three drop? They, they don't really want to. They're probably going to have to, but they don't really want to. And if you're playing this outside of Mono White, let's say in um, Celestia or Bant or Four Color Humans, this is just such good Coco bait. Like, you just hold this up and either it's Coco. Um, or it's this card, and it's just so great that you could just do, you could just pass every turn with four mana up, and your opponent just never knows what you're going to do. You're going to draw some cards, you're going to have like this swinging turn. I can even imagine you sort of like fake out your opponent. So even if you have collected company, you just activate this instead, and then next turn, your opponent's going to be like, oh, they don't have collected company, so I have to like, I don't know, I could like play to the board more or something, and then you, Coco, like hit the Reflector Mage and swing for lethal. So there's just mm-hmm. so much like, small intricacies to this card to such a simple card and also i love myself a good savannah lion like you give me a one mana two one that doesn't suck and i'm already happy that's fair i remember playing black white humans and i think i played 16 savannah lions in that deck it was the fucking best i love that deck just play that with the um the loxodon from um guilds yep God, that was such a cool deck. Maybe I'll just, like, I still have everything for it, so I can very easily put it together. Turn it to a Luris deck, but fuck that card. We couldn't play the Loxodon anymore with Luris, and I want to. Could play Thalia now. Just play the most aggressive white deck you've ever seen in your life. I believe in you. Then you can play, what's it called, Brave the Elements. True, play Brave. Play some Wedding Announcement, because everyone does now. It's a good card. All right, number three. Alex, we have the same card. It's Gix, Yawgmoth, Praetor. So, easy peasy. Gix is a three mana, uh, three three, one double black, legendary creature, Phyrexian Praetor. Whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to an opponent, its controller may pay one life. If you do, draw a card. And then it has the flavor text of you can pay seven mana, discard X cards, exile the top X cards that target opponent's library. You may play land cards and cast spells from among them, exile this way without paying mana costs. I don't so think that's flavor that point, text at all. And then that's you get to that point. It's uh, really good. That's really a great good. line of text. Like if you're playing, especially because you can cast. Um, I also talked about this with Carnage and uh, Bridger on uh, Shoxies. This card is awesome because it is so, like, sort of unrestricted, I called it. Nowadays, most of these cards would read if one or more creatures deal damage to a player. So you would only draw one card. Or the second ability would say you may cast one spell from among these. But because it's all, you draw as many cards as you do damage, you can cast all cards from among them. Like, if you're playing, like, let's just say against Rakdos, I mean, if you get to activate gigs you're probably already in really good shape against Rakdos, but um in that matchup also it's discard 
and a lot of black cards are just like they can come back from the graveyard so it doesn't even really matter that you discard them but mm-hmm. you're playing a bunch of like one drops and two drops so you might have like some thought seizures in your hand but like that doesn't really matter anymore and even just taking these like paying seven discarding a land of thought season a dead fatal push and just getting like three potential spells from the top of your opponent's library is is crazy like that is such a good effect so I understand it's not going to come up very often, and you 99% of the time you play this for the first line of text, just to draw those extra cards. But the act- the activated yeah. ability is actually super scary. So even on a board where, like, let's say you've like successfully like stalled the board, you've played like a bunch of obstinate bailoffs or whatever, and your opponent is no longer attacking, the activated ability is still threatening. So Gix is still a must-kill, even on a board state where he's not drawing cards. Yep, I agree. And then you throw in one or two copies of Nykthos in the mix, and then that can make that activated ability a lot easier to read. Play this in mono-black. Yeah, like... Yeah. Yeah, I like this a lot in mono-black aggro. Um, you play a lot of one-mana one cards that can just get in. Um... You want to draw cards, and um, it'd be kind of easy if you just throw in like one or two copies, like I said, of Nykthos and Mono Black Aggro to actually get yeah, you, to his seven pretty easily. You have a lot of pips. I mean, even just one Nykthos, right? you're, you're often playing like, if I remember the old list, they played Formula Vault, and they played one, sometimes they think even two Urborgs, just to like consistently yeah. get the Muta Vaults to tap for black. Now, your mana, ba- your mana uh, count is probably not super high, so I wouldn't want to run more than one Nykthos because it's legendary, but just throwing in one Nykthos feels, like, pretty easy. And it's I think it's gonna come up where you just have, like, this and, like, an Evolved Sleeper and a Bloodsoak Champion and a Knight, and you just make that jump from, like, use three mana, well, two and tap Nykthos, make five, and that just makes the jump to this seven really easy. Yeah, the scary card, really good. And of course, this is a common thing today. A lot of these cards are just also kind of good on rate. Just yeah, Bridger three, 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 mentioned that like, it's a bit old school. I don't think it would happen, but it's not far off it. That like, remember when control decks used to run shit like Glinsieve Siphon or Postboard? Mm-hmm. Like just to like fake out your opponent post-board and just randomly have this creature that starts drawing cards when all the creature removal is boarded out. The fact that it's even, like, remote, like, pretty close to potentially being good enough for that role while also being an amazing card in an aggro deck and probably serviceable in a mid-range deck, like, you could play Gix in almost any kind of deck. And it'll be... It'll range from being awesome to fine. You should try it in the board in in Grixis because, like... How often do you get to the point of the game where you could just spend that seven mana? Yeah, it, it's potentially, like, reasonable. Now, I I currently wouldn't run a lot of cards dedicated to blue-white, but it is in that way interesting because it dodges the Aether Gust that they will often bring in because they're expecting Chandra, and mm-hmm. it dodges Mystical Dispute. So I have been looking for a card like this, but Glinsieve Siphoner just, like, draws you a card every other turn, but feels like it's just not enough. But maybe Gix is, like, if there's a lot of blue-white running around, I might would probably consider Gix. Sure. Yeah, Gix on his own procs himself. So if he hits you, 
you can pay the one life because it's not whenever yeah, another creature. You could even like end of turn three, you can cycle a shark typhoon and have a one one. Then you play this, yeah. and then the shark typhoon attacks. Activate den. Yeah. You have a random goblin lying around. Play gigs. Get him for one. If you're if you're in a position against like a control deck where they have to like use to fairies down tick to deal with the threat, that's a pretty good spot to be in. Yeah, you're very happy at that point. Yeah, so yeah maybe Gix is actually back like pretty and... decent. I would give it a try. Might be surprised how you like it. Yeah. All right, number two. We're going to skip for a second because my number one is actually uh, your number two and one combined. Cheater. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I have a good reason for it, though, and I'll explain it. So my number two is Calamity's Wake which is a two-mana uh, instant, one and a white. Exile all graveyards, period. Players cannot cast non-creature spells this turn, and then you exile Calamity's Wake. This card is not something that's super flashy. It's not super interesting design, right? But in a world of Pioneer where there are plenty of decks, and there will be plenty of decks in the future to make use of graveyards as an additional hand, this is very good. It's also very good in that ex that exact scenario you were painting earlier when we were talking about uh, the dreams of uh, steel and oil, saying there are times where, you know, Grease Fang just does end of turn, Grizzly Salvage, dig five deep, find Grease Fang that way, bin up Parhelion. That's already great for this idea because now, because this is an instant... When they untap and they go to their upkeep, you're going to be like, yeah, before you draw a card, though, Calamity's Wake. Now you time walk them, right? Um, well, it's not creature spells, so they can still cast their Grease Fang, but they can't cast, like, uh, their Isika's Chariot in hand. They can't cast additional Grizzly Salvages or whatever to keep, like, if they needed to dig a bit deeper, find other stuff. They can't Thought Seize you um, if that's what they're going to do anyway. It really, if they end up having to pay or play, I'm sorry, a Grease Fang for three for no value and then pass it back to you, that's really good. Like that alone makes it worth it to me. Same concept against Phoenix, right? That additional clause of saying they cannot cast non-creature spells is a really big deal. Yeah, it's just a good I, card. I feel like this is a fine card. I would be honestly somewhat surprised if this see, if this like ever sees play, because I think it's just like like on the cusp of being good. But like the instant speed graveyard wipe, it's like I don't think I've ever seen a Rectos charm in a Rectos sideboard, which can exile target players' graveyard, so you're not messing up yourself. And it can also mm -hmm. shatter an artifact, <clears throat> which is relevant versus Grease Fang. So, I mean, maybe people should just play Rectal's Charm so they stop getting wrecked by boat, but... Um, maybe. Like, so I feel like that card doesn't see play. Like, basically no one plays Silence for the disruptive side of it. We've had other yeah, Silence this, effects. This gives you both. And this is something that's very good specifically against graveyard-centric decks. <laughs> And one of those graveyard-centered decks, and I mean, I would say 1.5, so like half, 
fifty percent of fifty uh, percent of uh, Grease Fang makes use of non-creature spells, and then Phoenix one hundred percent makes use of non-creature spells. So you get uh, a way to attack them on both forms of that axis, right? Like that's where I think this is a step above silence, and yes, Rakdos isn't going to play Rakdos Charm for that effect. Because it only attacks on one form of the axis, and it also makes Rakdos a very proactive deck that wants to drop things and put threats on the table to force your opponent's hand. Makes them play a more reactive style. Like, even the removal, for the most part, is sorcery speed, right? Like, Dreadbore and things like that. The only times really doing stuff with uh, Fatal Push is when you're, like, just, you know, or Instant Speed, I should say, is when you're doing things like Fatal Push, and sometimes, like, Infernal Grasp or something like that. So, in that context, I agree with you. It doesn't fit in that type of shell. But in context of decks that are a bit more pro, uh, reactive rather than proactive, or at least can skew more efficiently to a, a reactive game plan, more so than Rakdos can, this card does two things that are very powerful against the decks that you want to be able to catch off guard or just, like, stop. And we all know that one turn off or one time walk type of an effect against certain decks, like Phoenix and Greasefang, can be all it takes to, you know shut them out for the rest of the game. And not only is it a time walk effect for them, it's an effect that shuts down their graveyard for that turn. So if they have built up a presence, then you get rid of that. And they force themselves to take a turn off, basically. Yeah, like, I agree that it's a very powerful card, because I also, like, I mean, you know, we can go back to, like, episodes from, like, a year and a half ago or something, and I I think, like, we did an episode of Underrated Pioneer Cards, and, like, my first one was Silence. I think on both episodes we did, my first one was Silence, because it's just such a powerful um, effect. The moon, the moon card. Yeah, Hello Moonlight, um, which, you know, can serve in a similar situation. That doesn't work for Grease Fang, because kind of in the same way that, like, like, uh, Graph Digger's Cage doesn't work. Um, So, like, this just, like, falls in that category where I could definitely see metas and scenarios that are, like, theoretically possible why this card is great. I just don't know if it's ever going to, like, materialize. Um, mm-hmm. I think especially because if I got it correct, it says players can't cast non-creature spells. So it's not... It's symmetrical. Yeah. And... That that's fine because I mean, like, if if they're doing if they're not, but it's not creature spells, so yeah. But I mean, so, so still... I can already play it in my turn, also. So it doesn't serve like that double duty that a silence effect can often do, where like True. I can do it like in response to your. Um, but again, it's it's non creature. So like, you're you're thinking of this in the lens of a control player, but I could still argue that Azorius control might want an effect like this, even like anyway, just to play it on their turn, uh, opponent's turn. I mean, not. The, your own turn um but yeah you're thinking of the lens of a control deck where you have yourself non-creature spells what if you're in the lens of a creature deck or even like a like a flashing creature deck or like uh something like that like that can actually make use of like playing it on your turn and then casting a creature to put up a threat they can't really do anything and then go from there like this still has utility to be flexible enough like i look at this almost like it's a charm because it does two things at once yeah like, it's powerful enough that if your deck, like, fits the niche that, like, it doesn't really mess you up, but in, like, a meta like this with, like, a lot of Grease Fang, or if there's, like, if there's would be, like, even more Grease Fang and there would be more Phoenix, 
uh, you're playing some sort of like more like proactive, maybe mid rangey creature based deck that is it that like doesn't really care for its graveyard, for example. I can see this card being very good. Mm-hmm. So, like, I just think it's very niche, but it's good in that niche. It's a good thing though. It it doesn't. Um, it's a good thing it's symmetrical, saying all graveyards and stuff. Because if it said target player's graveyard, this is just a cyborg card for Greasefang in the mirror. If this said exile target player's graveyard, your opponents can't cast non-creature spells this turn, this card would be pretty nuts. Well, even if it was just target player graveyard and then play is still the second part, players can't cast. Like, yeah, that you could still like, wipe your opponent's graveyard st- in response. Yeah. Yeah, it would still be an insane card for Greasefang's board. I mean, you could still maybe do it. You have to play a little weirdly um, and like essentially let your opponent overcommit as a Greasefang player. And then you're like, ha, got you. And then you just go ahead. Like, like let's say you stop them on their turn three and then you just go, okay, turn four is chariot, turn five. Uh, Rafid is informant. Yeah, discard the th- Parhelion, then Greasefang, and then you win. So yeah, even I feel then, like, maybe this I feel like that's going to be very like tricky to like weave yourself through. But, but that's what makes you know, good players great, right? When they're able to utilize a card like this that Fair enough. could have that utility to, like, you know, go from there. Because it is hard. It's easy to just continue doing, like, what your deck wants to do and make the optimal plays of using your mana stuff like that. Because magic players, if there's one thing that we hate more than anything, is taking a turn where we don't utilize all of our mana on curve. Like, how often do you, like, like basically want to throw up when you're playing an elf deck and you I hate draw not using turn two? Yeah, right? It feels horrible. But at the same time, how often is that the right play six. to do? <laughs> but, how, but that's sometimes, that's like, that's the right thing to do is to not play efficiently to all your mana. And it feels wrong, but it's the way that you actually go and beat your opponent that game. And this could be a card like that. I'm not saying it will be, but it yeah. could. I will say as like a small note, it is like valuable that Grease Fang decks have recently moved into like lots of ways to deal with permanent based hate. Mm-hmm. With a room command, Rupt Decay, recently Terra Sunder, Fracture. So like, the land. often like if you come packing for Grease Fang with like two unlicensed hers, it might just not be enough. Yeah. So there's definitely value in uh, in having this stapled onto an instant. I agree. Do we have do we have a flash creature that has an ETB exile target player's graveyard? Do we have? No, I already yet? looked it up, and it said I looked exile target graveyard, and then I only ended up at the Rectal's charm. Uh, oh, I did type that it was an instant. So, Try creature. But then I would have to also type in flash. Because I know flash there's like the, the vampire that does it on ETB, but that's obviously not flash. Then I'll from The one from Strixhaven. Won't remove... Let's see. Mana value greater than or equal to zero. Um... No, there's a card that does the opposite. Ulamox and Nullifier put two cards from your opponent's exile into their grave. <laughs> it's one nice. of the processor cards. So. 
Hey, man, that's a great way to counter Bone Crusher Giant. <laughs> oh, does that work with the processors? You just take, like, your Bone Crusher out of the adventure zone and put it in your graveyard? Yeah. Yeah, that's sick. I love that. Yeah, because the adventure zone is exile. That's why, oh, remember yeah. when Eldraine came out, we everyone was looking at the one card, the, um, the Eldrazi? Yeah, Strangler. Yeah. Everyone's like, yeah, this is great against uh, Adventure. I love Wasteland Strangler, man. That's cool such card. a cool card. I do think it dies to Stomp, right? It's a 3-2. Yeah, it should be I, a 2-3. I really wish that card was a 3-3. Just a 3-3. Three, three. It's a 3-mana three, 3-3. Three, that would be all right. Yeah, I'd, I'd be fine with it being a 2-3. Yeah, really... yeah, sure. Just be. I, I'm better. not trying to beat down with Strangler. I'm just trying to utilize its ability. <laughs> I just want to be cute with it. I just want to yeah. O-ring your thing. And then exile, move it out from under the O-ring and pick it back up. And then cast it again. I just want to do that. But yeah. before and we you know go you into... Could do? Yeah. Hey, if you want to do that with Waitsman Stranger, your wonderful honorative mention, I guess we'll do that first before we go to number one, actually sure. can do that. Yeah, so we'll go to our... Uh, yeah, I'll start then with my honorable mention. It is Meticulous Excavation. It is one white for an enchantment. Uh, maybe most forgetful card I've ever seen, but it immediately caught my eye. Uh, two and a white uh, for an activated ability. Return target permanent you control to its owner's hand. If it has unearthed, instead exile it, then return that card to its owner's hand. Activate only during your turn. This card is just like, you can only do... It's clearly designed to be fair, in a way. Mm -hmm. Especially with it, like pick up an unearth card and then, you know, make sure that you can actually keep it. But this this is just like only there for unfair shit. Yeah. Like the only deck I've built so far with this is just a deck that like what about the Mightstone and Weakstone? And you just pick it up over and over. And you just do stupid like Paradox Engine bullshit. And I feel like this only works for a deck like that. But I do think the design is pretty awesome. Again, design that feels very like unrestricted it's any permanent which includes itself it can only be done during your turn but not only at sorcery speed so it can be used to save something you can pick up like an odawara and channel it to get something out of the way or pick up some other like double-faced card that you played as a land so i feel like there's just like a lot of like cool quirks to this card i just thought it was cute and i built a deck with it that i think is cool so that's why it's my honorable mention yeah, I like it. Uh, I didn't have an honorable mention listed, but if I were to say one, it'd probably be Portal to Phyrexia, the nine mana artifact that's basically like a GPG. There's a battlefield, uh, opponent sacrifices three creatures. At the beginning of your upkeep, put a creature from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. It's a Phyrexian in addition to its other types. This card's going to so, yeah, cost I'd... a million bucks just because of Commander. Yeah. Though I will... my other honorable mention, I guess, because I talked about Portal to Phyrexia at length, the last episode we did, would be Steel Seraph, the six mana five four so cool. angel, or a three mana three three angel um, for the prototype. With flying at the beginning of your beginning of combat on your turn, target creature you control gains your choice of flying, vigilance, lifelink until the turn. It's a little awkward in the angel decks as they go right now because. On the surface level, you're like, oh, cool, another three three mana, three, three flying angel that just does things. It. You cannot cocoa into it. That is the huge, huge I downside. I kind of 
kind of wish with prototype anyway for some of these cards i kind of wish prototype was like worded differently so it wasn't prototype but the wording was like perfected form or something and then for the phyrexian ones it'd be called completed form or whatever and they would start mm. small and you could pay more to make them big yeah then there'd be more cool synergies with them and now they're all like high cmc in your deck in the graveyard and stuff and that can make it it can allow for other cool synergies but generally it makes it more awkward yeah but the cheating aspect goes away because then you can't reanimate a big thing with like portal phyrexia and be like i have a seven five now now you just have the prototype version essentially right yeah so, that's true it couldn't blink it or something so there's like you got you, you gotta pick one yeah i for one like the splashy big shit plays so i want the big boy in the graveyard and i like casting collective company yeah so but yeah portal to phyrexia i think is a really cool card my surprising thing was when i started thinking about it like if you like refurbish this how mm. much better than god pharaoh's gift is it like i've heard people say like oh it's so much better but i'm like context matters it, if you're against a creature though? deck where they have they have a board it's better yeah but yeah i mean obviously the etb to sacrifice three things is great but yeah, you the get problem a creature is it's back. upkeep versus yeah, it's combat. in your upkeep it doesn't gain haste and like Godfarer's Gift makes it a 4-4. Generally, in Pioneer, creatures are smaller than 4-4. So you tend mm -hmm. to grow creatures when you bring them back with Godfarer's Gift. Yeah, because you want to with... get back the stuff like uh, the, what's it called, the one from Amonkhet, that, or our that like discards cards equal to yeah, the, or draw and discard equal to Champion power. of Wits. Yeah, um, so that becomes a 4-4, and then that makes it better. Yeah. Now so the upside... That's why I was saying before it should be more GPGs and then like one or two of Portals of Phyrexia in addition yeah, like that could work. Piece. So you have, like, more to refurbish, maybe, than, like... Uh, it'd be very hard on the mana, unless you go just straight Azorius. You might be able to pull off an Invoke Justice. The, like, return a permanent, distribute four counters. And then yeah. I could see, like, a deck where you run, like, one or two portals and one or two Invoke Justice, just so there's, like, you're a little more consistent without uh, hurting the deck too much. Yeah. Um... Because I was thinking with Portal to Phyrexia, like, okay, what if this enters the battlefield and I sacrifice? And what if every turn it gives me a 4-4? Like, which is actually larger than most creatures in Pioneer. But what if every turn at the beginning of your upkeep I gained a 4-4? Is that actually mm -hmm. better than God Pharaoh's Gift? And I'm like, nope. Really? It is a little yeah. bit better immediately. But, like, it... So it just struck me as, like, I first thought this card was kind of nuts, but the more I thought about it, I was just like, it's just good. Yeah, but it's, it is sick. It's, it's, it's in a vacuum. Also, when what you the compare fuck it is coming out of GPG? that portal in the art? Like, was this question. actually a card? Like, whatever this thing is that came out of the portal? It looks so kick-ass. Um trying to see if i organize it so it says after five thousand years the nightmare returned which i think just refers to phyrexia text. itself yeah i'm looking at other uh cards I'm trying to see if i see any of that tentacle thingy coming out of something's face um it looks very eldrazi to me it I know does it's not, but... um it's not clay champion it's 
it, it, it Actually, looks now you like say it, after 5,000 years to Nightmare Return, was like the first evasion of Phyrexia 5,000 years prior? I thought it wasn't that long, like, lore-wise. The, the, didn't the mending of Dominaria happen, like, that long ago, though? Uh, maybe. I don't... No, because the mending happened when Liliana was alive, and she's not 5,000 years old. Was she alive? I thought she wasn't. Yeah, she's a... I believe, yeah, because that's why she got the chainmail and the deal with the demons and stuff. Because she was like, "Oh fuck, I'm dying now," which I'm pretty sure, which is why she got the whole shebang going on. It's the same with Bolas. Bolas isn't five thousand years old because the whole point was like, "Oh shit, the mending happened. I'm dying. I want to get my power back." Mm-hmm. I'm not seeing that creature depicted in any other art. Just means um... it's a teaser for the next set. They're pulling a God Pharaoh's gift again. Honestly, where they just, yeah. Like, tease it ahead. Oh, with like the Gate to the Afterlife was an Omicat, yeah. and then uh, yeah, and a dark intimations, but there wasn't a Bolas until two sets later. Like just that, like they're just gonna keep pulling that shit off, and I'm here for it. Yeah, yeah, that's what it looks like. I'm looking at like all the Phyrexian creatures right now, and I don't really see anything that pops up as being that creature. Because this looks like so, yeah. the, the like old-school version of Phyrexian Obliterator, and I want to see that card. I mean, I know there's like a technically an old-school version of Phyrexian Obliterator, which was like the reverse Phyrexian Obliterator, but you know what I mean. Yeah. And at least so, it's not a uh, it's not one of these random commons, it looks like, because that would be annoying. That'd be boring. Yeah. But, Can't wait to see it then. Overrated, underrated. Um, I suppose I'll start with my overrated then. Uh, yep. We already talked about it. And for me, it's third path iconoclast. And it's really just, I mean, what I already discussed earlier. I think this card is fine. But I think in the majority of decks, it is no different than Young Pyromancer. Now, there's value in being Pyromancer 5 through 8. But... Yeah, it's just like, it's not that big of a deal. It's fine. It's a decent card. There'll be a deck where it's okay. But this is way more... I think this is being overshadowed for the hype in Modern, where this card is significantly better than Young Pyromancer. In Pioneer, it's fine. Yeah. I still like it. um... Me too. I like it. Just fine. Uh, Also, uh, real quick... We have some breaking news that I would like to share before I'd give you my overrated. Season 3 Pro Tour will be the Pioneer format. Again, more Pioneer. Yep, Season 3 of the Pro Tour will be the Pioneer format. So what's the second season? Because the first season is Pioneer 2, right? That's what we're doing now? Mm -hmm. I think it's modern or standard. I think it might be standard, the second season. That's cool. Very happy about that. So, yeah. Moving on to uh, my overrated. My overrated is going to be Diabolic Intent. The wonderful two-mana tutor that says sacrifice a creature is an additional cost and grab a card, put it to your hand for two mana. One and a black. So, I acknowledge this card is good. I acknowledge this card is really cool. And it's going to see play in Pioneer in some capacity, whether it's a deck people have been saying, like Sack, Greasefang, or anything like that that you've seen on Twitter or whatever the talk about it has been. 
or a deck that's unknown to us at the moment, or it will get better as the format ages, like most cards we ever look at. The reason it's overrated is because it can't, to me, based on the hype around it that some people have been giving it, um, especially Doomwake, who is a friend of the show, um, you can't, in fair consciousness, give it a correct rating other than overrated based on what people have been saying about it. It will not live up to the expectations that some people have set out for it to have. That doesn't mean it's a bad card. Because sometimes, Alex, we do these overrateds where like, we're just like, holy shit, these are just bad. Yeah, this card's Why just trash. But... Yeah. But this one is still a great card, but it's not going to live up anywhere even close to what people have had yeah. their hearts It's the same on. as me with Iconoclast that I think we've done it in, like, I think at Dominaria United, we had a similar situation where it's just like, this card is like an 8 out of 10, but people think it's a 12 out of 10, so it yeah, is technically so... overrated. Exactly. And that's pretty much that. It, I don't have much else to uh, to go over from there. But now we'll go to underrated and we'll switch it around. I'll start with my underrated. My underrated is Haymire, or I'm sorry, Haymire, Haywire Might. I got ahead of myself on the M. Haywire Might is a one-mana artifact. It's an insect for a 1-1. One, one. When there's a battlefield, I'm sorry, when it dies, you gain two life. Then you can pay a single green, sacrifice Haywire Might, Exile, target, non-creature, artifact, or non-creature, enchantment. I think this card is going to be one of those cards that you just look at and be like, yeah, cool. And then never think about it again until you see a deck pop up on uh, the league dump or in a challenge that has like three of them in the sideboard. And you're like, what the fuck? And it turns out it's just really good at what it does. Yeah, wasn't Caustic Caliper a playable card for a bit? It was, like in Pioneer. Yeah. Like for like, few months now like the beginning towards the beginning of the format this is just strictly better this can get awkward if you try and blow up a vehicle and it gets they crew in response true uh, so it can get a little awkward but i do agree it is one mana less which is huge right caustic caterpillar is a two mana cart that just makes it awkward in some decks um, and it exiles it exiles which can be relevant definitely this is colorless uh it's an artifact creature so like there's a lot of there's a lot of upsides to this card. Obviously, I think a lot of people will be surprised that you call it overrated, uh, underrated because it's very hyped for modern because you can find it of Urza Saga. Yeah, Urza yeah, Saga. Yeah, for modern, it's it's for, looks incredible. Modern, it's probably one of the better cards in the set just because you can get it of Urza Saga. But yeah, like John's probably gonna fucking play this card. Yeah, and you can get it and then like exile like leyline binding and that kind of shit, um, which is not irrelevant for pioneer right a very popular deck that's banning up is karuga fires mm -hmm. well that i runs... say it's underrated for for pioneer because i've seen zero yeah, people I've seen, talk about same. it. Pioneer. i've seen zero people i'm just like brainstorming why it would be good in pioneer uh, yeah yeah because like you can get rid of temporary lockdown which that deck plays you can get rid of fires which a deck plays you can get a ley line binding which that deck plays if you're playing and if you're against, going against the uh, enigmatic, enigmatic fires, fires yep you could pop Enigmatic Incarnation before the end step, so it doesn't even do anything. Just this card being on the battlefield means there's not just means they're not gonna play that card. It can help blow up a Witch's Oven or a um what's the other one from Kamigawa if you're going to get like Yep. Like yeah, there there's a lot of like good targets for this card. 
if a GPG um, deck pops up again because of Portal to Phyrexia, gives people inspiration to try that out, then realize it's better to just go back to GPG and they utilize new tools we've had in recent sets for the first time and focus. Okay, see, we've seen this happen before and I fucking love it when it happens. One of my favorite things in Magic is when you see a card and you're like, this goes in X type of deck And it easy. makes them discover like an old version of a deck. You're like, should I have been playing exactly. this the whole time? Exactly. And that could happen with GPG. And in which case, this card is great against that. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, and just the fact that it's like a like a random like beatdown bullshit thing, or if you're playing like um like Golgari or John Citadel or something, it's a card that you can more easily run an extra copy of. Mm-hmm. Because at least it's a creature. I mean, sure, one one isn't severe beatdown, but it is beatdown. You can sack it to like a Priest of Forgotten Gods or like whatever other effect you have. You could sack it to an Oni Cult Anvil if you're playing like Junsack because it is an artifact. So there's a card that you could just very easily put an extra copy in and that means you draw it more often. And if you're playing Jun Citadel uh, or like Jun, if you're playing Junsack, for example, like Junt Food, holy shit, do yep. you need an answer to temporary lockdown? So I'm very happy that I can have a card like this and kind of just overload on it. And not have to worry about, like, drawing too many copies as much. I agree. It seems like a really good card. And one that people will definitely be happy to have in their boards for uh, plenty of matchups where it's relevant. All right. All My right. underrated card is uh, finally a card with lots of text again. It is Gix's Command. Three black black for a sorcery. Choose two. Put two 1-1 counters on up to one creature. It gains lifelink until end of turn. Destroy each creature with power 2 or less. Return up to two creature cards from your graveyard to your hand. And each opponent sacrifices a creature with the highest power among creatures they control. We're talking about this on uh, Shock Seas too. That, there we kind of did a top 10 for just like fun slash interesting cards. So cards kind of popped up at random. And mm-hmm. Bridger brought this card up. And thought this was like maybe like the like the best card for the Rakdos mirror and also having like other upsides and i compared it to like invoke despair and stuff and i already mentioned it there but the more i thought about it i feel like this is way better than invoke despair for the simple reason that this is way easier to cast yeah like invoke despair is one black 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 and with potentially having to pay like a pathway on red and having like a den you already like can't cast that, mm-hmm. and this card is and then you're like you might want to play like a second red for like I don't know you want to like double bone crush like double stomp or play a Chandra and or set up so you can get Croaks up back and you're just messing up your invoke despair. Um, Gix's command just doesn't have that problem at all, and I think the modes on it. Like, if I'm thinking, like, for the Rectal's Mirror, I want return two creatures from my graveyard to my hand, and each opponent sacrifices their strongest creature. You know, to, like, sort of have that same, like, 3-4-1 thing again. Yep. That Invoke Despair has, too. But then I'm thinking, yeah, but what if I'm playing against mono-white aggro, and I just wipe their board, and put two 1-1 counters on my graveyard trespasser, swing and gain five. So, like, it's also really good there. So I feel like, like this you card could is gain seven like, actually because you'll um, yeah because if could, it, you know, yeah you would even be able to like get the trigger exile off stuff the, they killed yeah, yeah exile stuff so like the more I look at this card the more I think like 
Discord has four modes, and they are all great. Now, it is a five yeah. mana sorcery, so it is a little slow. But if we can afford to put uh, afford to put Invoke Despair in our decks, we can put Gix's Command in our decks. And I've seen tweets yeah, that, like, this that. isn't even the best card with the word Gix on it. Like, comparing it to, like, to that Saga and stuff from Dominaria. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, nah, 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 this is... This is... Wait, uh, other than Gix himself... That is Gix, yeah. right? The, yeah, other than Gix himself... Uh, this is the best card with Gix on it. This card is kick-ass. And also, the art is fucking phenomenal. This is such a gorgeous card. Holy shit. It gives me vibes of, um, like, H.R. Geiger type of stuff going on. Also, this looks like could be an amazing album cover. I'd listen to this. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, sick card. Great for Rakdos. Honestly, as someone who is, has always put a card in his deck that costs blue, red, black, 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 I can tell you, ease of casting a card is a very big deal. <laughs> it is. It loses yeah, you more games than you, you think. I've been telling you to play Interplanar Beacon. No. Then I can't, then yeah. I can't cast Maestro's Charm, because that card is blue, black, red. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing to myself sometimes. I, I, miss, I miss the old uh, Esper... Uh, bolus deck from that standard oh, where you just no. played four interplanar beacon and you're just like i have a bolus <laughs> just i don't have fun. other sources of red but i have this <laughs> it, it worked which is the crazy thing because you only <laughs> play like two bolus now you played maybe sometimes you played three but you didn't play like, i mean now we play yet. a deck that has mostly forests in it that occasionally plays bolus so hey yeah congrats but all right going on my to number two and number one ones. and your yep, one go ahead we have, um, I suppose I'll do them in my order, which I had number two, number one, and I'll explain my reasoning yep. afterwards. Um, we have the Stone Brain. The Stone Brain is a legendary artifact for two mana. With two, tap, exile the Stone Brain. Choose a card name. Search target opponent's graveyard, hand, and library for up to four cards with that name and exile them. That player shuffles. Then draw a card for each card exiled from their hand this way. Activate only as a sorcery. Well, but obviously we're very happy that this card exiles itself, so you can't recur it. Oh wait, this is just this is ah. this goes in Karn. You can loop it with Karn, so you can make your opponent draw their entire deck. Uh, well, you first exile their entire deck, and then you force them to draw, so they just immediately lose. Um, Mono green could struggle with um, with combo matchups like Lotus. And this is just like, if you find it early enough, you just name. Um, I heard from Todd Anderson. He mentioned it, and I think I agree. If they don't have Lotus Field in play, you name Lotus Field. If they do, you name Hidden Strings. Like, most of the time. Obviously, Mm -hmm. if they've already played two, maybe you don't. But um, Because that's the way that they, like, really combo off. And it really makes it really significantly slows them down if hidden strings is not in their deck but obviously if they haven't even played lotus field yet you just name lotus field and you win uh so it's a win con it attacks difficult matchups this card is amazing out of karn boards and i think the best karn card from the set i think most people would agree with that but i did put above it i'll cover this card first and then we'll start talking about the cards a little bit yep Cityscape Leveler. God, Meteor Golem got a fucking glow up. 8 mana for an 8-8 artifact creature construct with trample. 
When you cast this spell, and whenever a cityscape leveler attacks, destroy up to one target non-land permanent, its controller creates a tapped Power Stone token. And it also has Unearth for 8. What the fuck is Cityscape Leveler? Like, I've just never seen a card be such a ridiculous upgrade compared to a card that is already seeing play. Like, holy shit. Yeah. You know what <laughs> makes me really, really sad about this? Well, not only do I have to potentially get one well, do of these, Do you have the ultimate art meteor golems? I have this one. Oh, you have the awesome promo, the awesome... I have the secret layer, layer. and it's foil, and it's pretty. Ooh. Now, I've seen people say, and I can see why, that you run both. Yeah. Because, first of all, Meteor Golem can target lands. That is... True. ...niche-relevant. And generally... Well, no, it says non-land non permanent. Meteor Golem. Oh, Meteor Golem can't hit lands? What the fuck? I thought it could hit lands. Okay, never mind. Wait, it's called Meteor Golem, and the art is it crashing and creating a crater, but it can't hit lands? Okay. Um, <laughs> but Meteor Golem is the kind of card that you grab at, like, oh, fuck, oh, shit, oh, fuck, oh, shit moments, and there it can be valuable, but it's one mana cheaper. Though, granted, if you're at... Six, you probably just grab the woodcaller automaton and then you make the jump. And then you could probably still figure your way out of it. But um, the reason I put Cityscape Leveler over the Stonebrain is because I am kind of under the assumption that Karn is going to go. Like, with the upgrades it got from this set, Monogreen already being on the cusp of, like, maybe this deck is too good... The conversation being, do we ban Nekthos or do we ban Karn? And now we see this bullshit, and we see so many artifacts in this set that exile themselves with the purpose that you cannot loop them. But Karn says, nah, fuck that, I can grab cards from exile. So, I feel like Karn's gonna go. And when Karn leaves, I think Cityscape Leveler is the better card. That, like, would see more play. That is, like, a ramp payoff that people would actually go to. Now, I do think the Stone Brain would see more play, but I fucking hate extraction effects, and people board them in way too often. And I think the Stone Brain is just kind of bad at being an extraction event ex effect if you don't grab it in Karn. It's cool that you have access to it outside of black, but you do pay one mana more, and I already feel like three mana extraction effects are generally bad, so I think a four mana extraction effect is atrocious. And Leveler is just a decent ramp payoff. Um, mm. Let's say you're playing like the sort of Titania ramp deck, like Titania's Command is also like a cool card in there. With, I mean, you probably wouldn't yep. want to exile your own graveyard if you're milling this. But like a ramp deck that can have maybe like some self-mill graveyard element to it. You just mill this over. This is an awesome card to unearth. You just blow up a, perm yeah. a problem card. You like kill a planeswalker, do a bunch of damage. It's awesome. If you just cast this, what a fucking threat. It's a cast trigger, so you can blow up like a Teferi if you're playing against control and there's nothing they can do about it. Um, so yeah, that's just 
mainly it. I think Cityscape Leveler is just the better individual card outside of a Karn world, and I assume we will be in a Karnless world soon enough. I agree. The reason I have them tied at one, because uh, I was basically trying to figure out if I want to split them up or like which one's better than the other, and I couldn't definitively give an answer as to which one is better than the other, because as it stands right now, I agree with you in a Karn less pioneer world where he's banned, Leveler is better. But as it stands now, they both have potentially the same impact on Pioneer in the sense that they both provide more targets for Karn to get in the board that pr- pretty much make the mono green deck better. And are either one of these can likely be the reason for Karn to be banned. Cityscape level were probably not as much as Stonebrain in terms of the banning idea, but because of the consistency and the way that the deck functions and how easy it is to get it out, I could also see that argument. So they both are great for the reason that you mentioned. They're both really powerful cards. The Stonebrain just adds into another potential combo kill of just repeatedly naming the cards in your opponent's deck over and over again and milling them out that way, essentially. Um, unless you're going against the one person that's playing, like, you know, the, uh, what's the advisor mill card or the uh, Shadowborn Apostle, any of those, or Rat Colony, any of those kind of decks. That's where those Stonebrain can't really do that, I and suppose. you still can, because you just name the oh, card. Oh, you just keep naming it. Yeah, yeah you just right, keep naming it. You could just only grab four. You can only grab four. That's the restriction, because it can name basics. And if you go mm-hmm. against Mono Blue and you play this on two and on three, you name Islands, you just win the game. So yeah. <laughs> that's why they put that restriction on. That's fair. Though I guess even that same idea, you can still just keep looping Island and just making sure your opponent has no lands. Um, Oh, that's the cruelest. If you keep looping it, but you just take all the lands out your opponent's deck and just don't kill him. (laughs) You're just like, you can concede if you want or we can keep playing. (laughs) So they both do the same thing for me. They both basically get Karn banned, which is why they're both sharing number one. Um, That's fair. They're just insane. Really, what it comes down to is Karn is insane. And Karn, funnily enough, is and will be the most talked about card from Brothers War. And he's not even (laughs) in the set. So that gives you an idea of what this set's providing. for Cards from 2018, and it's still talked about the most with this set. Mm Mm-hmm. Fucking hell. Yeah, like, but yeah. just my my only logic was, I think they're both equally, I think they're both insane if Karn is there, but had I made this list with Karn as banned in mind, Cityscape Leveler would have probably still been, like, number 9 or 10, and the others wouldn't be on the list. That's the only reason I put it above. And I wanted well, to split up with Woodcaller Automaton because I thought it was significantly worse than the yeah. other two, though still great. So I could, like... I get that. Well, that is our list. That is our top 10 featuring 10 through 1, as well as an underrated, overrated, and even an honorable mention. We do have one other thing to talk about really quick. We had a tiny little segment we wanted to include. Just simply stating... Cards that didn't quite make the cut. So, 
any card that you thought could have been on the list, Alex, didn't quite make the cut as an underrated or honorable mention. So probably around like number like what, 13-ish? If you made yeah. like a top 20 and try to go from there, like what, what card you wanted to put on the list but just couldn't bring yourself to do it? Yeah, there were... I basically had um, three cards where I was like, I really want to put this on the list, but I just can't justify them being on. Uh, the first one is Brotherhood's End. One red red, sorcery, choose one, deal three damage to each creature and each planeswalker, or destroy all artifacts with mana value three or less. I think this card is great, but it's basically exclusively great out of Phoenix. Um, mm. Because I think, especially where like modern design is going in Magic, the Exile Clause on Anger of the Gods is extremely relevant. Yeah, And I think more relevant than the each Planeswalker uh, tag on or the potential to blow up artifacts. We have seen occasionally, we've seen uh, artifact aggro decks where this would obviously be very good against. But other than that, a lot of artifact decks go a little bigger. And also, mm. in Pioneer, we just, other than that one artifact aggro deck, generally, like, cheap artifacts just aren't as good anymore because they tend to be broken. So they're also not designed very often. So even though yeah. cards with mana value restrictions like this tend to get better as format gets older and curves get lower, that just, in my head, just never, like applies as much to artifact hate because they tend to get smaller same with enchantments all the flashy awesome enchantments tend to be like four plus mana yeah i had so i agree with that um i think this card's really good it's gonna see play it's just whether or not like the meta calls for the angry of gods effect being better but the fact that this, hit, this hits also planeswalkers um that alone even if it wasn't like the two mode thing, if it was just straight up three mana sweeper hit planeswalkers and creatures for three power, uh, three damage, then I would see this card being played. Yeah, but like um, I can see it in Phoenix because it hit it doesn't exile your phoenixes and it hits no, our yeah, set. I agree, and it's yeah. you know two very good things for that deck specifically. It can mess up a wandering emperor, also never a bad idea. Kills all the soldiers and the emperor itself. Yep. Uh, did you have a card you want to talk about, or should I just go over my remaining cards? I had one. All right, go ahead. And it's a card that would go in a deck that you like quite Ooh. a bit. Fauna Shaman, a two-mana 2-2 two -two elf shaman, and then you can pay one and tap it, discard a creature card, search your library for a creature card, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle. This card seems, the more and more I thought about it, it seems like the perfect home for it is literally elves. I don't know how many you would run, but like, how often are you trying to dig for your shaman? Uh, your, uh, your um, yeah, shaman of the, the pack. Uh, yeah, shaman of the pack to like close out a game. And how often do you just draw into your one of your eight elves, like the one ones, right? The the ones you don't really want to yeah, just keep a, playing. It's a great way to even like recycle a land elf into a lord, like even if you yeah, to do something that, as like, simple you know. as that. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's a card you would go all in on and be like, I'm going to run four of these. Because at the end of the day, it is just a two-mana 2-2. Two -two. Um, and having... I mean, maybe having multiples of these out in the battlefield isn't that really bad of a thing because you make a lot of mana and then tapping and just like discarding multiple bad draws into lords or shamans and that kind of thing to help close out a game could be good. But I'd probably... Yeah, I think two is where I would try it. Um, 
I, I really think this could be that little extra reach that elves might want to so, kind of go off. I think this is a very... I find it very hard to evaluate this card or change. Because, like, yeah. the effect of just one green tutor up a creature is awesome, but it also dies to, like, literally everything. Um, it's a two-drop, you need to untap with it, then you still need to spend mana to get something. So, like, in an aggressive deck like Elves, if I want to, like, speed towards my Shaman, should I not just run Court of Calling? Um, so, like, that's a thing I'm not sure about. And also because in Dominaria, we got the... Um, uh, Dominaria United, we got the um, Leaf Crown Visionary. So now, if we draw a dead elf late game, we could just turn it into a card. And that's mm -hmm. a card where, like, its baseline is way better. But, like, I'm, I've am i often not been a fan of running, like, a full four of the Clan Caller, so I could see, like, one of those going, and maybe, like, something else in the deck goes. You can tutor up some, like, more things post-board. Like, you can find, like, a Scavenging Ooze for Grease Fang easier or something. So there's utility there. And I can also just totally see this working outside of something like Elves and just being, like, this random, like, gruel aggro deck that also runs a bunch of Elves and it doesn't really care about playing a 2-2. Because, I mean, if we're talking about, like, the kind of scales deck, right, that we were talking about earlier, like, what if there is some, like, top-end creature in there? I mean, what if you built that with, like, fight rigging and there's, like, you put, like, two Vorinclex in your deck and later in the game yep. you discard the Simulacrum to find that Vorinclex when, like, you're later on and in the early game it's just a body to put counters on. So I can totally see, like, it being... Uh, a very reasonable card in that. I mean, thinking about that deck, if you play like this on like, you play like a Pelt Collector on one and you play this on two and on three, you play like the Monkey, but like you put the counters on this instead and on turn four, you play like the Kodama. So then you mm -hmm. get like a bunch of ramp and now you grab that foreign Clex reader. So I can see like something working there. I think it's a very interesting card. I just found it so impossible to evaluate that I kind of just like shied away from it for the list. Yeah. Um, and like, it's a good thing this is just a straight up reprint and they didn't do the thing of like trying to do a spiritual successor to a card like in the same vein because you know what they would have done if they went that route, Alex? They would have made this like a birthing pod type of effect. Oh, Discard a creature card. And then put like put a put on the battlefield plus one, or, or whatever. Or actually, it might have been minus one, because that might be an easier thing to do. Yeah, like they they would have done something silly with it. But yeah, I like this. It also um, there's like niche applications with like creatures that have like discard abilities. Uh, again, in that like simulacrum style, I talk about that monkey. Yeah, you discard it, you get on earth value. So this is also a cool set to reprint it in. Because you can get on Earth value out of it, and it's a card that's very green, but an artifact centric set just doesn't feel like it can house green very well. So mm -hmm. giving it that unearth value, I think is a very cool way to integrate green into this set in a meaningful way. Also, what a downgrade for art. Look at the original art for this card. Yeah, the original Vana Shaman is sick. I love that card. Like, that's amazing art. And the new one is just kind of like, eh. What is like, if I play a deck with this, I'm getting exactly? the old one. 
I do like it's the like new a one. Green, it's green misty. Green like, misty. I, I, I like the original more, but I honestly think this Fana Shaman is still like fine. I like it. It wouldn't be. Yeah. You know, if I'd go to a vendor and they'd only have this one, like I wouldn't be mad. It's like, oh, okay, I'll take this, right? But no, if I, I find if I find an opportunity to swap it for a new for the old art, I would. Well, that oh no, you still have two more, yeah. right? Um, go. Pretty simple. One is go for the throat. Um, it's just another one for the ever growing pile of two mana conditional black removal. Um, I just think power word kill is better. And I think we already spoke about this the first time we talked about it on the cast. Um, we were going into an artifact-heavy set. We are heading into two additional artifact-heavy sets. So a card that says destroy target non-artifact creature doesn't sound very appealing to me right now. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> it goes on the pile. I've ordered my playset to throw in the box, and whenever I need it, I'll grab it. And I like the new art a lot, too. I think it looks cool. Um, and the last one, I just think this card's really cool. It's Kayla's Reconstruction. It is X, white, white, white for a sorcery. Look at the top seven cards of your library, return up to X, artifact, and or creature cards with mana value three or less from among them onto the battlefield. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in, any, in a random order. I fucking love these Genesis Wave kind of cards where, like, Genesis Wave is my favorite card to play in Commander, just dump all mm -hmm. my mana into it and just flip a bunch of shits from the top of my deck onto the battlefield. Like, just, I really like playing with those cards. I think they're super fun. Um, this is kind of White's Collected Company. And it can hit artifacts, which if we're talking, like, playing this in mono-white aggro, this could mean it can hit your portable holes, it can hit your unlicensed hearse, so there's yep. some value there, too. Um... Again, the mana value three, that's kind of like... Like, mono-white aggro is kind of built like a collected company deck, but it can't have collected company in it. Um, obviously, if you pay this for four, it's worse than collected company. But if you play five for it, it is better because it goes deeper. And yep. you're generally a fairly low land count deck. You're a bit higher because you've got a lot of utility lands. But, like, if you dump, like, three mana into this, in the top seven cards of your library you're probably going to find three spells to cast, uh, to put on the battlefield. So the yeah, rate... Finding something like double Thalys uh, Lieutenant. Oh, yeah. Then, like, and then even just like, oh, and I'll grab like a random bodyguard because I have an extra mana, right? It's just great. Yeah. Um, I don't know if this is how you approach the mono-white mirror because I think in a mono-white mirror, we see in the sideboard, there's like a lot of portable holes and stuff there. And I think the idea is to just start fighting for the board early and just, like, sort of go under your opponent, like, grab that tempo and just play out your hand, lower your curve, and just, like, roll over them. But I can this could see... This be going over. Yeah, this being you go the other way around. So, like, I'm not attacking with Thalia because she has first strike, so she can't be blocked, but I am not attacking with her, so my opponent can't attack me. And I just wait... And eventually I have a bunch of mana, again, because I have so many utility lands, my land count is reasonably high for an aggro deck. And I just go, okay, this board looks reasonably even. Kyla's re Reconstruction, X equals four. Get fucked. Yeah. Yeah, this could be a really good card in that kind of deck. I'd, I'd be willing to try it. Same yeah. in, like, the soldier deck. Like, what are we, any, like, lower to the ground? Yeah, I can... think... 
Yeah. This is not like collected company where you put in four and you like go really hard on no, it. No, I was you I was put, thinking like a cyborg like of like two and two. Like my yeah. thing it was like uh like you do like your board plan for like uh for against um like the mirror. I was thinking like you either do like two of this and two of like something that removes stuff. Like um I was thinking the uh, the soldier uh from Midnight Hunt. Uh Brutal Cathar. Yeah, I was thinking like two of that, two of this, bring those in. And maybe an additional like couple portable hole if you have the room and you have the space to cut, and then like that's your game plan. Yeah, I also always, and that's just a personal thing. I like going for that like greedier, go larger game plan. Uh, it always reminds me of uh, people who played Hearthstone way back. In- Did you play classic Hearthstone? No, I couldn't get into it. Ah. I tried, didn't like it. So there was a deck in there, and it was called Handlock, and it was just a deck that cared about having a large hand size and it had a bunch of payoffs for having a large hand size and that mirror match always boiled down to who was the greediest fucker in building their deck so like who was like i'll take out one early removal spell for an extra threat because it was just it was such a game of attrition and it just really made me appreciate like these kind of decks that just like for the mirror i'm gonna go over rather than under I just think that like such a more like fun way to go about it because I at the end of the day, like most magic players, I'm a bit of a Timmy. I like playing big spells. So if yeah. you give me an excuse to be like, oh, I could put this efficient one mana card, it's like, no, dude, I gotta put this awesome five mana card in and run over my opponent with it. And this okay. is like such a cool card to do that with. I agree. So yeah, that was All the right. cards I wanted to talk about, and that like don't have much more to cover. That's our top 10 then. If there's any cards that you think we missed or you think we're wrong on or have a different position on the list and you want to kind of give us your two cents, let us know either in the Playaway Discord server, link in the description, or you can find Alex and myself on any of the social medias which you heard us talk about at the ad break in the middle of the episode. So as always, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being here and showing your support. We love you and appreciate you and we hope you listen to us again next week. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone.